Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered Chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The way I describe filmmaking is literally like a SEAL platoon. You have your OIC who's can be the director or can be a producer then you have a platoon chief that's a director he's the one cracking the whip and saying hey the oic wants us to get this job done or the ceo wants us to get this job done let's go get this job and then you have all your different departments so you know like you have the dive department or you have the breachers or you have the snipers you know the director's telling the costume department hey this is your job here's my vision here's what i want things to look like or be like you have the production designer you have the script supervisor you have the writer you have all of these different jobs and a director is essentially trying to get everybody on the same line so that that vision that he or she is trying to create along with the producer comes to fruition. So all it is, is essentially a seal platoon. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to teach myself screenwriting and teach myself directing. If you're a chief that's also a corpsman, that's also a JTAC, that's also a sniper, you're going to go on every yacht. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest back to the podcast. Uh, this is third time's a charm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this gentleman sitting to my right has been uh, been on here twice before, uh, once covering uh, his first book, Transformed Out, and then uh, the second one we had uh, with a joint guest talking about uh, race relations in the United States. And now he's coming back to give an update on, uh, you know, looking looking through the email that you sent. Man, you yeah. got a ton of ton of new yeah, stuff yeah, to talk yeah, about. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll dig into that. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll spare all the other bio and intro stuff. Uh, I encourage you to check out the other two shows that he's been on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Remy Adeleke. Yeah, thank you for having me. How, how close was I? That was good. That was, was good, good enough. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Adeleke. Yeah. I think you even had a hint of Nigerian on yeah. that. All right, <laughs> hint we'll, of pigeon on that. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're yeah. a busy guy. You got uh, four young kids and uh, you know a, a host of projects going on. You've been all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on. Thanks for having me on, brother. Yeah. Uh, so since the last episode, I'll, I'll let you kind of give the rundown of, of what you've been up to since then. I've got uh, some notes listed, but uh, yeah. I want to give you a shot to... Uh, just kind of catch us up quick before we uh, dive into everything. Yeah, I think that was like around 2019 or 2020, something like that. So um, since then, I've been I progressed a lot more in my film and TV uh, career, yeah. uh, more so as a uh, starting. You know, I think when we last time I was on, I was transitioning more into the writer side of things, the screenwriter side of things. I'd written my book, Transformed, and uh, and then I, I had kind of taught myself screenwriting because I was getting these scripts uh, to read in order to consult on these big budget films. 
films and I was just like, ah, I think I could do this a little bit better. So that's yeah. kind of when I taught myself screenwriting and then ended up getting into the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America. We're currently on strike, so I'm out of work in that part of my business now. And uh, wrote some screenplays and um, um, got a screenplay picked up uh, called Chameleon from a major producer. Uh, uh, went through a year of rewrites on that. And then uh, after I finished a year of rewrites on that screenplay, got picked up to be a book some people in the publishing world read the script and they were like dude this is actually a buddy of mine he's a former agency guy turned author his name's taylor moore he read the screenplay and he was like dude this can be an awesome book series this is like reads like tom clancy brad thor like this is something that could have legs for a long period of time and he talked me into um writing the book which i didn't want to do because i just came off of writing the script and that's kind of how i transitioned into writing uh the fiction book so did that but at the same time i was still you know progressing as a screenwriter and then um after i finished rewrites on the script interestingly the producer had a hard time finding a director and uh because every director is booked up you know, they're ah, two years, I'm booked up for the next two years, I'm booked up for the next four years. And that's when I was just like, you know what, screw this. I'm tired of like writing projects and then having to find a director. Why don't I teach, teach myself filmmaking? And so that's when I really started using working on movies. I did The Plane around that time, which yeah. was a movie that came out with Lionsgate this January. Um, I did uh, uh, an ambulance for Michael Bay up in LA. We were talking about that off camera. Yeah. And so I just used those opportunities, Terminalist as well, to kind of learn, teach myself filmmaking a little bit and, and see how filmmakers make films so that I can assimilate that because I didn't have time to go to film school. And then I did, and then I shot my first uh, uh, short film, which was a uh, organ harvesting film. And then, uh, yeah, so that has progressed into now it's going to be a feature film so that's what I've been doing over the since we were last together it's just really you know looking at my life looking at where I was and and, and my passion for storytelling and filmmaking and then just acting on it and, and, and learning the ropes yeah I mean to me it's fascinating and yeah. you know the that industry is such a at least from an outsider looking in seems mm -hmm. like such a, a close-held yeah man good old boy network kind of yeah. like you know I mean even more so than that I mean I, I don't want to get way too often a tangent but almost yeah. like illuminati kind of like there, yeah. there's people involved that like, like it, it seems like it would be almost impossible to just break into that it is you know um it, yeah what, what's been your experience with that that kind of aspect of the industry it's been hard man it's been really hard to penetrate the business you know just because it, it a lot of it is most of it is not just about who you know it's about who knows you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you could know a lot of people, but if they don't know you, you can't get in. And it is like one of those things where you, you got to be, you have to be a chameleon. You have to learn how to blend in. You have to learn, you know, where to go at the right time. And it's, it's, it's extremely tough. And then you run into people who, um, they present as though they have your best interests <laughs> yeah. and, and they, but they don't, uh, I've had, I've had, uh, prior reps steal from me or try to steal from me, try to manipulate me for, for my life rights, book rights. I've had people who, you know, were in the military who then transitioned into Hollywood, you know, try to take advantage of me and play on that. Hey, you know, brotherhood, military, all of that. And, and so you got to learn how to uh, stick and move because it is, it's a hard business to get in. And even after you get into it, you know, you're dealing with, you're dealing with people who don't have the same level of integrity as yeah. you. And that's, that's really rough. And that was a, that was a lesson that you know, I learned, uh, I learned a hard way because, you know, being in the teams, 
um, and not just the teens, but being in the military and then going from the military into the teens, you know, everybody, when they say that, when a, when a guy says, hey, I'm gonna be here at this time, he's there at that time. When a guy says, hey, I'm gonna have this gear, they do what everybody, for the most part, does do does what they say they're gonna do. And there's that integrity and there's that buy-in. And so you know when somebody says, hey, I'm gonna hold down on this door, you don't have to look, you don't have to double check. And, and I think that one of the mistakes that I made when I got out of the military and then started transitioning into uh, my film and TV career was I was was taking that same mindset that I had of being able to trust people easily and 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 acting upon that in the film and TV business. Yeah. And so I would say, yeah, it's, it's tough, brother. It's tough. And yeah. there's times when I, uh, I'll ask myself, I'll just be like, dude, like, are you sure you want to keep doing this? Like, why don't you go do something else? Yeah. And then what I always come back to is the power of story. Yeah. You know, because it was film and TV that changed the trajectory of my life. You know, watching two films, that's how I learned about the SEAL teams and 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 learned that I could be a hero in some way um, growing up in the Bronx. And so if I can use story to influence or impact or educate other people at, or at a mass audience, then that's what I that's I need to stay in the fight. Yeah. All right. Hey, guys, I want to take a, a second to talk about ads. Um, and this is not an ad. This is me talking about the ads. I know that. Um, you know, sometimes we get comments of, of people bitching about the ads. There's too many ads or they're too long or what have you. And I, I want to clear two things up, which is number one is that my slash our team's ability to bring you guests and, and bring them in and, and the accommodations and, and the entire process that it takes to produce these shows to the level with which we do uh, requires funding, you know, and the, the sponsors give us an ability to bring these shows to you. So while I understand that everybody wants zero ads and, and everything bunched together and, and what have you, this is how we, we bring this show to you. Uh, you know, we're a very small team. We're very fortunate to, to be able to do it, uh, but we do still have to, uh, to pay bills and, and bring that to you. So keep that in mind. That's the first point. And the second point is that I can assure you with 100% accuracy is that there is not a sponsor or a product that I talk about on here that isn't something that I use, okay, that, that I either regularly use or always use or have used, and, and I refuse to budge on that, okay? So we, we get uh, offers for, for sponsors regularly that, that get turned down because it's not stuff that I use or would use. So keep that in mind. Uh, have a little bit of flexibility in terms of our ads and, and realize that, they're products that I believe in, that I stand behind, and they're what what make this show possible. So if you support these advertisers, these sponsors, that is supporting the show. Thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting the, you know, that, that drive, cause I had kind of similar experiences, you know, the way that I found out about the SEAL teams, one of them was a movie, yeah. uh, the movie Navy SEALs yeah. uh, back in the day, but, uh, but, you know, also several books that, um, a hundred percent were, you know, massive influences yeah. on, on me jo joining or not. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've kind of looked at it that same way of, of trying to, at a minimum, at least be there as, 
something for the next generation, yeah. even if it's helping kids out that have questions or uh, or whatever. And uh, it, it's neat that you that you've kind of gone gone that route as as well. Yeah. Um, fr- like from an industry standpoint, uh, what is there anything or, or something that stands out that would surprise people? Uh, that mm. you know something like that. I think most people would maybe assume that either is true or isn't true. Or uh, um, I would say, you know, I've been blessed to work with like some big celebrities, Ryan Reynolds, Mark Wahlberg, um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And I would say the biggest surprise is that how cool that some of these guys at the, the guys at the top top are, you know what I mean? Because you hear these horror stories when you're outside of the industry of how these people are like, you know, at the top, they could be prideful and angry and they don't want to talk to you and you're like a peasant to them. And, and so I was really surprised at how, how humble and cool some of these people, you know, that I've been able to work with are, you know, Josh Dumel and some of these other guys. And even now, you know, we're casting, I'm casting a film that I'll be directing after the writer strike and even like connecting with some of the actors that we're casting, just how like, cool and 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 level-headed they are and humble they are you know what i mean and so i would say that that's the big that's been the biggest surprise for me especially given what i've heard um before being in the business and then i would say that that probably would be a surprise for the most part a lot of people at the top are are pretty cool chill people it's 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 interestingly it's it's the issues that i've had have been with people who are like in the business and they're like not at the top, but they're like their trajectory is eventually the top at some point. And they're at that they're at that kind of first that third tier level before they get to the second tier, before they get to the tier yeah. one A list star. It's like the, that's the interesting bunch that yeah. I found. That's the that's the pride. That's yeah. the and, a total dick. Yeah, yeah. Who's a total dick? I can't say that. <laughs> sure you I can't say that just uh, yet. So without just yeah. yet, you'll get there. Uh, I don't think I will. No, I'm just joking. Well, so uh, I guess so. Without saying somebody's name, what, what's a, an experience that you've had that that would exemplify that? You know, I was working on a project, and there was a there was a guy who um, uh, he was just being a dick to the other actors because you know he had like a more prominent role than the other actors. And and he was just he was just being rude to them and being mean and like pushing them to the point where one of the guys almost got went fist to cuffs with him. Oh, really? And would have been justified. You know, it would he would have got fired because this 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 particular guy who was being a dick was like he was he was, you know, uh, high up on the call list. You know what I mean? But call sheet. But but yeah. And and that that would probably be a situation where I was like, come on, man. And then and then, you know, I stay connected with the guy and just seeing how he 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 presents himself to other people in other situations is just it's in it's the same tone. As it, as it was when he was on that set and I was working with him on that project. So I would yeah. say that, that that that's one story that yeah. comes to mind. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that I noticed in, uh, in the little bit of time, yeah. I mean, there's really only one experience I've ever had with the, with the first Transformers. I was an yeah. extra for like three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, didn't say anything, just moved around. Like yeah. there's there's one part in the movie that's actually in there where you couldn't, couldn't even recognize me, but that I know that I'm in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, a second and half a half, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but but even in just that couple of day period, I, yeah. I was blown away by the amount of money spent yeah, on man. everything, yeah. like catering, makeup. I mean, yeah. you name it. 
expensive. Uh, I mean, can you kind of speak to, to that? I mean, there, there yeah. seems, at least for me, from my standpoint, it seems like, you know, the, the Hollywood kind of industry has a very um, opinionated side of, you know, whether it's um, environmental stuff or, you know, carbon footprints or, yeah, you know, but yeah. then it's like when you see them doing what they do, it's like, you guys are the worst yeah. of anybody. Yeah, you, you yeah. Know? Um, can you kind of talk to like just the, the ridiculousness in terms of opulence in some ways? I know that it's not yeah. all that way, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, it all depends on this. The, so you have independent films, which are independently financed and that, you know, you can't have that opulence. There's yeah. no way, right? Because you can't afford to fly that lead actor back and forth on a private jet. You can't afford, you know, every weekend or every week for him to come to work. You can't afford those things. Your, your budget is specific to, like, for example, the film that I'm going to be directing um, um, it, after the writer's strike, that's like a 20 million plus film. We can't afford, yeah. you know, to shoot in a bunch of different locations. We have to shoot for the most part in one location. And then we have to, uh, one, 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 specific city and then we have to you know for another part of the film which takes place in london we have to go to we can only go to london for like two days right because of the amount of money that it costs the budget that we have and then a, a good chunk of the budget goes to the actors right yeah. for the most part now in a studio film that's different you know with transformers you're talking 150 200 million dollar budgeted film you know um some of the stars of the film i mean I, I, don't quote me but they're getting maybe like 10 million maybe bay the director is getting like 10 million uh so when a film is budget and it's a studio is it flipping all studios are at the end of the day they're just big big banks yeah like a lot of people don't realize that but all they are big banks that's when the opulence come in. That's when you have the five-star catering. Yeah. And because you got to keep those actors that are getting paid 10, 20 million dollars, uh, you got to keep them happy. And that's when you have the crew that's more expensive. And, and we start talking about VFX, which is even more expensive now. And, and that's uh, special effects. Oh, I gotcha. Is you it, know, is it yeah. sorry. Uh, no, you're good. You're good. But is that included in a budget? Like if yep. it, so the, all of the editing and everything, yeah. post-production, um, as for, you know, again, going back to this film, like we're part of our budget. We're, we're, we were going to film in DR because it was a 30%, 30% uh, tax credit, but we're looking to potentially move it to PR, Puerto Rico. And, but our post-production, there's a big, there's a nice tax credit in New York City. So we're going to do our post-production for the most part in New, New York City. All of the amount of money, the, the full budget is all that, the whole film from beginning to end, not including marketing and PR, which is a different type of budget. All of that is that, that comes out of okay. that, that, that. That encapsulates absolutely everything from pre-production yeah. to post-production. So on a, on a movie like uh, like a Transformers or yeah. like one of the Marvel like Endgame, yeah. where, where there's just an absurd amount of yeah. CGI and stuff. Like, what is what would be the the breakdown of how much money is spent on on that? It depends. It really depends on how much how much how much visual effects has to be done. So you get some directors like Christopher Nolan. He likes to shoot practical, which is, you know, it's it's the effect is in the shot for the most part. And then maybe you have to do a little bit of special effects to add on to it. So if it's a practical explosion and maybe the VFX guy has to add a little bit more flames and fire to it. But then you get films like Transformers for the most part where and Marvel, where it's like you have to VFX the entire world, right? Yeah. So if you're on a, cause there is no, I forgot that that planet um, in um, in the um, Marvel film that 
Thanos and Titan. Iron Man for Titan. Yeah. There is no such. You can't go to Titan and shoot yeah. that practically. Yeah. So all of that has to be digitally created. Yeah. And then and then the, the blast and all that stuff. So that is going to dictate how much is going to be allocated to the uh, for VFX or, yeah. or budgeting wise. Yeah. So it all depends on every film. Like, you know, the short film that I did, um, uh, the organ harvesting film, there's VFX in that. Now, it, it was... I, at the end of the day, it was like a hundred fifty thousand dollar film. Um, I only spent maybe ten, fifteen thousand on VFX. Yeah. I couldn't afford to spend, you know, uh, hundred thousand on VFX yeah. because then I wouldn't have a film. So uh, I had to shoot some things practically and then put the effects in yeah. uh, that that were absolutely necessary, so that that way I could kind of, you know, save some money. Yeah. So it's, it depends. Every film is different. There's there's no one film where, you know, you, you could look at it and, and use that as a template for every other film VFX wise. Uh, since you mentioned it uh, in organ harvesting, Grey Wolf is uh, Hamity, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's Hamity, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw that. I was like, wait a minute, I know that. Yeah, guy. you know, he was awesome because he came, he taught all the actors um, Arabic, Oh, really? um, yeah. He, uh, so that they could, so they could say, because, you know, I wanted the film, I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. And I didn't want, you know, uh, people in Venezuela to be speaking English yeah. when they're not English speakers. And I don't want people in, in, yeah. in the Middle East to be speaking, you know, uh, English when they're not, you know? And so, uh, for the most part, he taught, you know, those girls, they weren't, they had no, as a matter of fact, one of the girls, she's, uh, She's Jewish. Oh, wow. uh, one of the girls in the film and the other girl, she's just half black and half half white. They just, when you look at them, they look like Yazidi's girls. Yeah. And uh, uh, so he taught them Arabic wow. and he taught Ju Justin Garza. I'm not sure if you recognize him. Oh, He's no. a former SEAL. He's a former oh, okay. team guy. You know, he, he was That's the main true. trafficker guy in the film. Uh, Hamidi taught him Arabic as well. So oh, wow. um, yeah, he's awesome. a good dude. He was an yeah. on-set consultant. Yeah. He was a great dude. That's man. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to dig into that yeah, uh, yeah. here in a minute. Um, kind of where, where that came from and, yeah. and talk about the scope of, uh, from a reality standpoint, the, yeah. the size of that problem. But yeah. um, just if you could, like from a Hollywood standpoint, yeah. um, can you kind of synopsize uh, how, how it works? Uh, like, you know, just, just a, a general 101 of, of movie making. Yeah. So, I mean, it all starts with, well, it depends. It depends. If you're talking about somebody who's already in the business and established, um, it, uh, most things start with a producer. So a producer kind of comes up with an idea. Let's say that idea is, I want to make a movie about this CIA agent who goes rogue and takes down the government or whatever the case may be. He then finds a writer, uh, he or she finds a writer to then write that screenplay. Um, that writer has to be paid. So, you know, uh, typically producers have to hire WGA writers. And if they don't hire a WGA writer, it could be a newer writer, but that writer has to be paid scale. And, and that job has to allow them to get into the WGA. That's kind of how I got into the WGA, right? And so you hire that writer, that writer writes a script, gives that script back to, and it could take anywhere depending on the writer between three months for some writers the usual suspect was written written in a week wow. <laughs> but uh but, but, but mcquery is a beast uh but you know three months to you know maybe a year to, uh, on that screenplay and then after that screenplay is written the producer kind of gives notes the writer does rewrites on that note on those notes and then once the once the script is where the producer wants it to be then that producer would then go to actors right because no script by itself can get financed or made with a studio or even independently so what that producer will 
then do is go to actors and maybe act if the producer has relationships with actors or maybe sometimes the producer is an actor him or herself for example the barbie movie um uh, that's about to come out um i forgot the actress's name she played harley quinn um but she's the producer on that film right yeah. so so then uh, once they go to actors and they attach talent actors to that film then they start pack they start going to studios and saying hey i got i got you know uh tom cruise i got ryan reynolds i got so-and-so and i'm producing it and here's the script and i can go get a director let's go make this movie and then the studio will be like oh wow nice that's why you that's why a lot of bad movies get made because a lot of bad movies get made because you have a, a bad script, but that act, that producer is able to get a major movie star attached to that bad yeah. script. And the studio is just looking at, oh, that movie star could put this this number of butts in seats. Yeah. So let's go make this movie, even though the script is not that good. You know I always I mean? wondered about that because yeah. there, there are some some often I'm like, how the fuck did this get yeah, made man. into a movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one here recently uh, with Charlie Day, the one that he wrote where he's the he's the uh, mute. It's I like see a, that one. It's called uh, Fool's Paradise, I think. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I never heard know? of it. Yeah, and but I mean, it's got like a laundry list of yeah. of high level cameo actors coming into it. I got mean, it. Jason Bateman's in it. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of um, household names yeah, that, yeah. That, are, that are in it, and and it was like, I mean, it was a fairly cheap movie. I think it was like twenty. 20 million budget and like an $8 million marketing budget. And, and I don't think it even pulled in a million dollars. It was wow. like 870 yeah, grand yeah. or something stupid. Yeah. Uh, we that's went, we went, my kids and I went and saw it. It was, it was horrible. Oh, wow. Well, that's about that. Well, that's how it got made. It yeah. got made because a producer was able to get the right actor and the right director attached. And then they went to a studio or independently finance, independent finances. Yeah. They gave them the money movie. got made. And you know, so that's the studio way. Like, for independent films, so this organ harvesting, the feature film I'm doing now, it's like, it's different. It's hard. Like, you know, so for me, I had to write the script and then, you know, so I'm somewhat of the producer because I came up with the idea, but then I write the script and then now I got to had to take that script to producers and like advocate for them to produce this film. So even though I came up with the idea, essentially what I'm advocating for them is to leverage their relationships and their name in the business. So Gerard Butler and Alan yeah. Siegel, they're producing the film. So I had to pitch them the script and then they came on board and then they had to pitch the script to financiers and then the financiers came on board. And so now we're we're pitching the script to to actors. We got one major star attached and we're, we're in talks with another major star, but it, it's, it's different in the sense that we kind of we have the money, but we had to get the money first, and then now we're trying to convince the actors to come on board. And if the actors don't don't come on board, then we lose the money. Yeah, I but gotcha. you know, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, it's crazy business. Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, what's the difference between a script and a screenplay? Same thing. Oh, okay, same thing. Um, and from going from not being in the business and not yeah. going through you know formal education or mm -hmm. training. Like how, how did you teach yourself to, to write? Cause that's a totally different yeah. format. I'm assuming. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would say it all it started when I was young. Um, you know, my mom, she would make my brother and I read New York times articles and books and write reports. So that's kind of where my, my writing foundation started. Uh, and, uh, uh, fast forward to when I got into the teams and I was doing the humid stuff, 
and even before I even was doing it, when I was in human school, um, I can't know. I don't know if I can mention the name of it here, but essentially that revolved, that involved a lot of writing, yeah. you know, a lot of writing and not just, not just, um, we had to write, learn how to write in a way that was visual so that somebody could pick up an intelligence report years from the day it was written and read it as though those events happened that day. So that's when I learned storytelling, visual storytelling through writing. So then fast forward to, I wrote Transform, which was my first book. And then after I wrote Transform, like the principles of storytelling was there. Now, as it relates to screenwriting, all I had to do was learn the structure, right? Because in a book you have pretty much unlimited, you have an unlimited page count, you have an unlimited, uh, 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 well not unlimited, but you have a, a much longer and wider page count and word count than you do in a screenplay. With a screenplay for, you know, uh, action thriller, you're looking somewhere between 110 pages to, uh, to 120 pages. With a comedy or a horror film, you're looking at 90 pages, right? And so uh, you have to figure out how to, and it, and that seem, may seem like a lot in relation to a book, but in reality it's not because the way you format it with dialogue and, and action lines, it leaves these gaps in the page, which, you know, you, you're in reality, you know, it says a script will say 120 pages, but when you really cut down the gaps in between, you're looking at like maybe 100 page yeah. screenplay if it was 120 pages, so it's even shorter. And so, uh, I just had to learn how to restructure it, right? Yeah. So I had to learn how to restructure my storytelling instead of doing it in a, how can I say what I would say in a book, but in a shorter way, yeah. dialogue wise, or act, how can I describe what I would describe in a book and the trees were blue and, and, and the wind was blowing and this happened. How can I just sublimate that down to, yeah. uh, he walked through the, beautiful forest. <laughs> yeah. right? I suppose, I mean, that that's a, almost a, an art or a talent in and of itself is, it is. is being able to condense, yep. like being so direct that, um, that somebody who knows nothing about the idea in your head can read it and know what you're thinking. Exactly. That's gotta be difficult. Yeah. It is. I mean, the, the best example that I heard is some, um, this is not saying this is mine. This example I heard is think of a license plate, right? Yeah. You know, what makes those, uh, license plate that have those, uh, those cool sayings yeah. cool. It's because they were able to take, you know, something big grand and and whittle it down to what like seven digits and yeah. and, and characters yeah. on a license plate so yeah. that's essentially what it is and so you know what i did was i i mean this may sound crazy but i downloaded the master class subscribe subscribe the master class i took aaron sorkin's mass master class shonda rhymes master class on screenwriting david mamet who's like a legendary screenwriter and playwright uh and then youtube man like you yeah. can learn anything on youtube and there's so many youtube channels from filmento to just right to film courage that there's all of these youtube channels that i just started listening to instead of listening to music when i would work out even to this day i don't even listen to music i i, I, I listen to or i watch screenwriting or directing or storytelling podcasts or YouTube channels so that that way I could always grow and get better. And that's essentially how I did it. I would, yeah. and I've always been a visual learner. You know, I think a lot of team guys are right. You yeah. know, you, you see how something is done and then you kind of mimic it and you learn by actually doing yeah. opposed to like going to a school. I don't think if I went to a filmmaking or screenwriting school per se, that I would, I would yeah. do well. I had to actually learn visually and then apply what I learned and make mistakes. So that's kind of how it all came together. All those classes that you uh, took, those are all master class classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that master class is one hundred ninety nine dollars a year, yeah. and um, you, it's cooking, there's shooting, yeah. you know, all kinds yeah. of different classes on that. Yeah, man, that's wild. Shout out to master class and YouTube. Yeah, yeah that's a tr I mean, to yeah. me, that that's a, a big testament to mm -hmm. uh, you know the information's out there. I mean, I yep. I see it 
day in day out i mean when you look at how we grew up versus yep. like youtube as as the most classic example it's yeah. like dude you can learn anything anything i mean you, anything. you can have any question answered and you can learn anything between youtube just the internet and yep. now chat gpt and yep. then some of these ai apps yep. like i guess you know speaking of that yeah that has to be threatening a little oh, bit 100 percent. Right? as a matter of fact the reason why we're on <clears throat> writer's strike now is because we were negotiating the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, governs every Hollywood screenwriter. So every person that writes for TV and writes for film. And uh, we started negotiations with them, I want to say early part of May, uh, or late part of April. And, you know, there were a few things that we asked for, more residuals as it relates to streaming, um, um, the abolishing of uh, mini rooms. And, but, and also there's a lot of other things, but the big, the big one was AI. Because essentially what studios want to do is they want to be able to use AI technology to generate a script. As a matter of fact, some studios have used AI technology to generate a script. And then they what and then to save money, they want to be able to give that screenplay that's been generated to an assistant or an executive at the studio because it's executive or assistants already on payroll and then have them you know tweak it. tweak it flesh it out a little bit more add more emotion to it because ai doesn't have the ability to to add emotion uh to a to a character or yeah. a specific scene and and then they save themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars right and uh uh so it's a major issue right now and, and just to put things into perspective so my book transform got picked up to be a film with a major studio and um not only did they buy my book rights and life rights, but they hired me to write the screenplay. At the end of the day, that deal is like super valuable, especially when we're talking about back end. We're talking about a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. that I would get paid if I was doing which I already wrote the screenplay and turned into the studio that I would get paid. That's a lot of money that a studio could save. Right. You know, especially on rewriting, because re re every time a script has to be rewritten per the WGA, you know, you have to get paid for that rewrite. And that adds, I mean, you can get paid fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 for just doing one rewrite and, yeah. that, and doing that in a week, two weeks. And so AI is really encroaching uh, in, in, in Hollywood. In a, in, a, in a good way in some instances and in a bad way. What the WJ asked um, uh, the AMPT during negotiations, what they said, okay, hey, if you want to use AI, all right, you can use the AI, but a WGA writer, instead of an executive or an assistant at the studio, a WGA writer has to then come along, rewrite the script, polish the script, and then that WGA writer will then be credited as the sole writer on that script. So all it is is a tool, just like Final Draft, which is a screenwriting software that we use to write scripts, just like Final Draft is a, is, is a tool. And the studio said, we don't even want to have a conversation about AI. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why we went on strike, because they wanted to they want to be able to stick with AI and save tons of money. So it is an issue. How would uh, how would that be? I guess kept uh, whether it's would you audit it or like how would how would you keep them honest? Well, uh, no film can go into production unless it's a gilded film. So no Hollywood film. And no Hollywood producer, uh, whether they're attached to a studio or not, n no project can go into production unless it's gilded, which gilded means the actor has to be a SAG actor, part of the SAG Guild, Screen Actors Guild. The director has to be part of the Directors Guild of America. And the screenplay has to be a WGA, you know, Writers Guild of America screenplay. So as of right now, no studio can go into production without those entities being a part of it. So that's okay. essentially how it's audited. Um, and if a film came out a year from a year from now, and uh, it's the first question that the studios are going to ask is who's a writer on this? 
Who's yeah. the director on this? Yeah. Who's the act? Who are the actors? And which that has to be made known. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they can't create some type of fake yeah. avatar and say this person wrote it because that person has to be in the WGA. But the, I guess the WGA then would would almost have to have a department that's verifying all of this, though, right? I they mean, do. I, oh, okay. Yeah, before film goes into production, yeah. before it even goes into production, it's all verified. Okay. From cool. all of the unions and and the the studios have to pay specific dues to the unions, if my memory serves me right, in order to be able to use their talent. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Uh, so the strike that's going on right now, when, is it looking good? Nah, man. Uh, I mean, we've been on strike since May second, yeah. and uh, um, we're not even at the negotiating table with the AMPTP, which the AM. P and PTP represents all the studios and all the streamers and they're currently in negotiations with SAG which the negotiations were supposed to expire last Friday but the president of SAG extended it to July 12th wow. and right now it's looking like SAG's going to go on strike so like in two days all of Hollywood may potentially be shut down because without actors nothing can get, get made without writers nothing can the inception of something getting made can't yeah. even happen and oh. without actors nothing's going to happen at all yeah. so um yeah man the strike's been going on we're not at the negotiation table and um we want to we're, you know, i mean part of the strike is you know i haven't been able to go up to la because i don't live in la but it's there's people literally walking picket lines in front of the studio saying hey we're here we're ready to negotiate we're ready to have a conversation but the amptp is not coming back to the negotiation table wow that could uh, that could get pretty squirrely Dude, it's it's lost a lot of people a lot of money. I mean, yeah. uh, studios are already losing money. You yeah. think about the late night shows that are that can't air because those are WGA writers that write yeah. for all of those shows. Wow. You know, SNL, those are WGA writers that write for those shows. So a lot of people are are hurting. And you know, as we get deeper into the strike, there's just there's going to be no new content yeah. because everything that was uh, supposed to be written the last two months is supposed to be coming out in august september october november next year so there's going to be a huge gap wow. and everything is beginning to move to that's why you're starting to see a lot of unscripted and reality shows pop up during the last writer strike in 2007 2008 yeah. that was the reality tv boom yeah. because you know studios needed content so now we're starting to see a lot of studios mm. and streamers you know looking yeah. for wow. unscripted content because that doesn't require a wga yeah. dga or a sag actor that's wild. Yeah, so there's so much to it that I had no idea. Uh, yeah. Do you have a a favorite director? Oh, yeah, I love Christopher Nolan. Christopher, yeah. Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, uh, uh, Spike Lee, uh, and Denny Villeneuve. Those are my those are my and, and Bay obviously Michael yeah. Bay. But I love I'm I'm more drawn towards writer directors because I'm a writer director myself. Yeah. I can't imagine directing something that I didn't write. <laughs> so yeah. So with that, I mean. Yeah. Um, in an instance where I'm assuming Bay is not a writer director, no, he's just a director. Yeah. So, are there pissing contests that take place between the two? Uh, I, I haven't heard of any. Yeah. I haven't heard of any. Or, I yeah. mean, disagreements where it's like, no, this is this is how I wrote it. This oh, is oh, you mean between a director and a writer? Yeah. Oh, I, I, oh, okay. I it depends. It yeah. depends because, you know, m most writers are not allowed on their on on movie sets. Really? So for that reason? Yeah. So, yeah, for that reason. So you get a lot of writers where, you know, they'll write a screenplay and they turn in that script and their job is done. Yeah. And gotcha. they're not even allowed on set. So uh, the director's off doing this thing. And now okay. now there is a very famous, I won't mention his his name and the, other, and the, the writer's name or the director's name, but there's a very famous writer that wrote a really, really great film 
they got made and it and 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 it was awesome but it wasn't what he intended it to be the director completely changed the script to be something else to be his vision and uh this particular writer was so pissed that he was like i am never writing another screenplay for a director again i'm gonna become a director and direct all my stuff really and so um you yeah, don't want to say who that is no nah, no nah, i'm not gonna say who that is <laughs> uh, but you you have that a lot you will have that where you know a lot of directors well, not a lot, but a good number of directors are, are now are, have they they started out as writers, yeah. and, they, and they started out as that for that very reason because they wrote stuff and then they saw the final product and it wasn't what they wrote at all. It was completely different. The heart, the spirit, everything had been changed, and so they're like, you know what? I'm directing my stuff from here on out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? Oh man, I got a lot of favorite movies. Bad Boys one, you know, Bad Boys one. That was a film that really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, so that's one of my favorite. That's one I could always turn on. It's, if it's on TV, I'm gonna watch. Yeah. Uh, then there's The Matrix, obviously. That's a classic. Inception. It's a classic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for the transformed film being picked up, do you? Yeah. Um, have any uh, pull on who who the actors are is that part of your gig or yeah so that's so you know, um we had to stop part of negotiations like the like literally we went up to the night of uh the 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 writer strike uh because it's it's because i'm a hyphenate i'm a multi-hyphenate so um there's this certain things in the writer strike that is a multi-hyphenate you can't do and, and, and deal with. Mean? So multi-hyphenate is somebody who's a writer and a director or oh, a writer okay. and a producer, right? So uh, because I'm part of the WGA and I'm, I wrote the script, I can't operate under a director's cap for the okay. most part and say, well, I'm a director, so I'm going to still have conversations with the studio. I got you. you know what I mean? Because it, it, it's it's a gray area that can it can go black really quick, right? Yeah. And so um, so we'll get into more talks about that afterwards. But that's going to be part of my negotiation after the writer strike is to be able to have some say on who's going to play me or who's going to play this character, and also um, to negotiate for me to direct the film. Yeah, because uh, you know I, I was a bit hesitant on um, bringing up the bringing up the uh, uh, the topic of me directing before the strike because my agent was like, don't say anything. This is a lot of money. We don't lose the deal. We don't want to run them off. But, you know, the blessing in the writer strike is really giving me time to, you know, look at the script and just – think about my path forward. And also, you know, this film that I, uh, that I'm going to be directing at the end of the writer's strike, you know, it's given me more confidence to say, okay, I need to be direct, direct on this. Yeah. And then once I do that after the writer's strike, then I'll, I'll have like a good chunk of say on, on who's yeah. going to play who. Do you have a, uh, a top choice for who would play you? Yeah. 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 Can you say who it is? No, I can't say who what? it is. <laughs> Can you give us a hint? Uh, well, there's two top ones. Uh, I say I'll, uh, the only hint I'll give is uh, one of them um, is a white guy. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as you guys know, the lifestyle changes and the, the fast pace that we live, uh, it makes it difficult to get in. Uh, you know, all of the vitamins, minerals, fruits, vegetables, etc. Uh, started working with First Form. Uh, it's a great company. Uh, everybody knows who they are, and, and uh, I've been trying their stuff for a while now, and I, I love it. Uh, in particular, their Opti Greens 50. It's a precisely formulated green superfood powder uh, that increases overall immune system support and digestive health. Uh, 80% of your immune system is located in your gut and digestive tract, so healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness. It's got 50 hand-chosen ingredients, 
Um, and it's taste and texture like no other product. It's not gritty. It's got a sweet berry flavor. Uh, 100% of all the greens ingredients are grown and manufactured in the USA. Um, you know, for me, this is a, a really good one-stop shop to uh, to get all the extra stuff that you need. There's a lot of greens out there. This is uh, a product I stand behind. I take. I enjoy it, uh, and and notice a remarkable difference in uh, just overall the way that I feel. My my gut health and digestion is uh, is noticeably improved. It's a green superfood blend. It's a phytonutrient blend. Uh, it's a glycemic balance blend. It's not going to spike your your blood sugar. It's got digestive enzyme blends and probiotics in it. It's a great product. Uh, Andy Frizzella and, and First Form is a phenomenal company that uh, you know is very supportive of the veteran community, and uh, I just I can't say enough good things about him and the company. So OptiGreens Fifty, uh, just a, a great product, and uh, they're they're a fantastic sponsor and supporter of Mike Drop. I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bubs Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with. And, uh, you know, the, the Bubs brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen, uh, collagen powder as well as MCT oil powder, um, you know, but they also give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which, uh, you know, to me just furthers uh, you know, the, the mission set on veterans day, they give a hundred percent back. So, uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee, the MCT oil powder, the same thing, uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from a joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age, uh, that are integral components to, uh, to health. And so, uh, to be able to work with Bubs Naturals and, uh, be able to, to work with them and, and sponsor a product that, uh, number one is a high quality product. And number two is, is so near and dear to, uh, you know, to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for, for who it, uh, was started for and what it stands for. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to be. So, um, it is whole 30 approved. Um, it's uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that um, you know right now they're they're offering twenty percent twenty percent off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to to try it out, incorporate it into your day day to day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health. And, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bubbs' honor. So uh, go to bubsnaturals.com. Mic drop is the code 20% off. You can't give us it. I was. I, th- I, th- I thought that was your segue yeah. out of it. No, but no. Uh, I would thought you were helping me get out of it. Um, uh, he's, he has a Nigerian background. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, just like me. I'm tracking. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, 
You mentioned producer and uh, and director. Yeah. What is the difference? So a producer is a person who essentially one well well pr producer covers a bunch of different um, jobs. Essentially, you can have a producer that's just financing the film. Like that's all they're doing. They're putting up the money. Um, so there's a uh, a big athlete who's co-financing this film that I'm going to be directing. He's he doesn't have really any say in the. Cre creative and he hasn't given any put input on the creative but he's putting up a chunk of the money so he's considered a producer mm -hmm. um and then you then you have a financing producer who's like literally putting up absolutely everything so that's a co-financing producer you have a financing producer who's putting up everything they don't show up to set really all they do is just cut the check and hope everything turns out then you have a creative producer right a, a creative producer what but creative is not before producer, it's just producer. But you have a creative producer who's essentially somebody who may come up with the idea or a, a writer like myself will bring that producer the screenplay and the producer will read the screenplay and give notes and say, hey, you know, I want this person to do this instead of do this, or I want this character to be this instead of that. Like that's more of the creative producer because essentially they're helping craft and shape the story. Um, and then you have a producer that essentially manages the film so they're just handling the business and typically those producers are known as executive producers so okay. they're essentially the ceo of the film as a matter of fact with every film an llc is started right so even with studio film so when i got paid for the netflix film six underground that i consulted on like i didn't get paid from netflix i got paid from an llc that netflix created right okay. and so so netflix will hire or in our case on uh, the film i'll be directing at the end of the summer there's an executive producer that we're hiring and his specific job is to make sure that i stay on budget is his job is to kind of hire people and manage everything so that's an executive producer okay. um so uh yeah so producer is a very generic term that way yes like it could be a lot of different things yep whereas yep. director is very singular yep. yeah yep okay. he has a vision he he or she reads the script and then interprets the script and then you know uh chooses the camera movements where the camera goes directs the actors trying to pull specific emotion out of an actor and essentially he's the he or she are the ones on set that's getting the job done yeah. kind of like so the, the way i describe filmmaking it's literally like a seal platoon you have your oic who's the di who's can be the director or can be a producer well, I would say the OIC is more of the producer. Then you have a platoon chief that's a director. I He's the one cracking the whip and yeah. saying, hey, the OIC wants us to get yeah. this job done or the CEO wants us to get this job done. Uh, let's go get this job. And then you have all your different departments. So, you know, like you have the, the dive dive department or you have the breachers or you have the snipers you know the directors telling the costume department hey this is your job here's my vision here's here's what i want things to uh, look like or be like you have the production designer you have the script supervisor you have all the, the writer you have all of these different jobs that fall under the director and the director is essentially trying to get everybody uh, on the same line so that that vision that he's trying he or she is trying to create along with the producer comes to fruition so all it is is essentially a seal platoon yeah. and that's why i tell people all that's one of the reasons why why i wanted to teach myself screenwriting and teach myself directing because at the end of the day kind of like in a platoon if you have uh if you're a, uh, if you're a chief that's also a corpsman that's also a jtac that's also a sniper you're going to go on every op yeah. you're going to it's going to be easier for you to get a get a job even if you're not a chief and it's the same way in hollywood if you could do if you could be a screenwriter a director and a producer 
that's a trifecta. Now, if you're a star actor, just like the Creed three movie that just came out where Michael B. Jordan was, he was the one of the producers, but he was also the director, but he was also the actor. He wasn't the writer. Him alone, that 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 film got greenlit because of that. Yeah. Because they didn't have to go find a director. You I, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to me, that would be difficult to be the director and an actor. It is. I mean, it is. I can't imagine doing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. it's almost like, like there there would have to be some bias. Yeah. Like you can't tell yourself to do something exactly. better or different. You know, it's like, and you can't see everything. You know, like I, for we, so I shot a uh, a companion uh, short film that's coming along uh, that, along with Chameleon, and uh, we shot it in Tennessee. I'm actually flying from here to Tennessee to to do a podcast, but also to get some more pickup shots for that short film. And uh, there was a guy who was playing Kali, you know, and he wasn't he, he can't shoot, move, and communicate. He doesn't know how to like do shooter type stuff. So yeah. there were some parts where I had to jump in, put on a black ski mask and 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 essentially be Kali and then also call action and also like and then we're losing the light so I can't jump behind a monitor and see what we shot and that's kind of one of the reasons why I got to go back and get some more shots mm -hmm. because there were some shots that were missed because I was doing two jobs. It's very difficult to yeah. in my opinion to direct and act and I do not recommend it. I have no desire to do that at all. No, I can imagine. I, I yeah. wouldn't want to mess with that. Yeah. In terms of the layout, one thing that I find uh, pretty fascinating filmmaking-wise is the, like, when you see the finished product, yeah. um, at least for myself, like, and I think a lot of people would, would kind of assume that it's filmed largely that way, mm -hmm. but it's not. You know, it's no. like, like you could uh, record or film the, the end first, and it's like it's so jumb, oh, yeah, yeah, jumbled yeah, up. yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that's just from a logistics standpoint, right? Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, you, most films are filmed out of order just because you have to. But does that uh, impact the the ability to tell that story? Like, there, there has to be, or, or is that a good director understands how to put all those pieces together? Because to me, it's like telling a story out of order and then yeah. putting it together at the end. Yeah, it's 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 partly director, but it's also partly having really good actors. That can read a script that, and understand. Exactly, and yeah. know that, okay... This is this is this character's end arc, which is being shot, you know, on day one. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to I have to be smart enough to be able to get into that headspace of that character on day one. Yeah. And that all goes back to casting. That's why, you know, there's a saying like casting is like 80 percent of it. Yeah. Once you cast the right actors, like 80 percent of your job is done. 20 percent is just getting on set and, you know, giving the direction to everybody else because, you know, your actors are going to get the job done. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a part of the job is, is is a big part of it is is, you know, shooting stuff out of order, because sometimes you may get an actor like a lead actor or maybe a supporting actor that can only work for the first two weeks. And but they're in a good chunk of the film. And so you got to knock out all of their stuff the first two weeks. Otherwise, you're going to you're not going to get those scenes. Right. Or, you know, locations are a big part of it. There's some places where you can only get a location, you know, for the first three weeks of the shoot. And then you got and that location is where you the where the end of the film takes place or maybe the middle of the film takes place. So you have to shoot that early on. So it takes one, it all comes back to the script. Everything always comes back to the script, right? So it's all about how the script is written. But then secondly, a director being a executive producer, being able to look at the budget, look at the script and say, okay, this needs to be done at this point for 
financial purposes and then a director following those orders and being like, all right, let me get this done. And then casting actors that are able to get it done. So it's a process. I mean, there's so much shit going on with it. You yeah. know I mean, like the amount of organization and logistics required to film, especially like a Mission Impossible oh, or yeah. something or like some of the Jack Carr stuff that, yeah. you know, is all over the world. Yeah. Which, you know, begs the question or I guess, I, you know, my curiosity is like when they're filming in like Paris or, yeah. you know, these big, you know, overseas cities uh, or even L.A. for that matter. I mean, I know yeah. a little bit of time that we were filming in, in downtown Los Angeles, like the yeah. amount of coordination with police and yeah. and barricades and yeah. closing shit down, but making it look like it's still yeah, yeah. open is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Permits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and, and so with that, like with the overseas stuff, I, I can only assume, especially in Europe, mm. like the, the further East you get, yeah, yeah, the more yeah. it's, it's like, how much is it, you know, it, that's not a pain. Like in reality, because a lot of those, the, those countries, they want, films shot there because yeah. it you know when brings people in america around. yeah it brings tourists and then also it's a lot of money yeah i mean this the city state where they're making a lot of money that's why you see these states in america and also these countries that are offering these tax credits for people to come because yeah. they know it's going to generate money for the economy yeah you know when you like mission impossible you know how much money mission impossible made yeah. you know uh france you know just for shooting all the the because you got to hire locally for the most part you got to hire pas you got to hire, you know, uh, a certain, you got to buy food, you're yeah. not shipping in food from America. Right. And then the hotels that the, that the, uh, the actors and, and crew and everybody's staying in, it makes a lot of money. So, so in some cases you get countries or, you know, states that try to bid for a big movie to yeah. be shot in those countries and states because it generates the economy. Almost it helps like, the economy. Almost like the Olympics. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there, I know it's going to vary depending on, on mm -hmm. the movie, but is there kind of a ballpark uh, number of people that it takes to, to make one supporting wise? I know the cast is going to vary depending on how yeah. many people in it, but. Yeah, it, it, well, you it's it all depends on how big it is. But for the most part, you are going to always have a costume designer. And then that costume designer is going to have maybe two or three people that work under him or her. You're going to have a, a DP, director of photography. And that DP is going to have like three or four camera operators that work under him. So, I mean, uh, for the most part, you're going to always have your standard position. Just like you're going to in a platoon, you're going to always have, you know, a JTAC, a sniper, a breacher, OIC. You're going to always have. So from that standpoint, I would say... You know, crew will for independent film, uh, say thirty million dollar film. Crew wise, you maybe thirty, forty crew members, give or take. And then once you once the the budget of the film starts going up, and you're talking like a hundred million, you're talking like Endgame, where you have like all of these major stars, and then all of those stars require to have require assistance and require PAs, production assistance to to be with them, and then they require you know you can't have you know, all you can't have one uh, makeup artist dealing with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, because then that's going to take forever for all these other actors to get in. So you got to have more uh, uh, makeup artists and more hairdressers and all that other stuff so 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 yeah i would say 30 to 44 is would be somewhat of the standard number um but then once you start getting into those higher budget films i mean it's going up you're talking like that's why for transformers or these other marvel films when those credits roll at yeah, the end it's like it's, 20 minutes yeah of yeah <laughs> it's a long credit yeah, roll man that's wild what does a what does a an actor's production assistant do it's just pretty much like 
like is a, with a, them. A, hey, a bitch get, boy in the in the platoon. So what? Yeah, yeah, new guy, new <laughs> yeah. guy. Hey, uh, uh, you know, grab me lunch or knocks on the trail. Hey, you got five minutes or whatever to get to set or ten minutes is just you know just yeah. assistant doing yeah. assistant duties. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, uh, <laughs> is, is there a a short list of who you consider uh, or regard the most talented actors uh, in the industry? I mean, I know oh, yeah. there's a lot of them, but yeah, yeah, there is a short list. It's there's thirty. It, well, it's it's not necessarily based on talent. It's based on who can put the most butts in seats, right? So we call them bankable names, right? So there's only about 20 to 30 names that can get a movie greenlit, right? So Tom Cruise, it doesn't matter what screenplay is put in front of him. If he likes it, that movie is going to get made because it's a, at the end of the day, a lot of people, a lot of artists going into the business and even people outside, they don't understand that it's a business. Yeah. Like it's a business. If they see a project that can, that's going to make or can make a lot of money, they're going to, they're going to get behind it. And so Tom Cruise, he's going to, you put him in front in a movie, yeah. he's going to, the movie's going to maybe make 700 million to a billion, you know, look at Top Gun Maverick. I yeah. think that hit like 1.3 billion. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so it's it's not necessarily based on who's the best actor or who can get in and in, to character the best. It's all about who has the biggest international name. It's, and it's not about national names. That's a, lot, a, a big thing that a lot of people don't understand. It's not about who's big in the United States. Yeah. It's who's big internationally because most films they make the majority of their money internationally. Yeah. They don't make the majority of their money domestically. And so that, a lot yeah. of it's China, right? I mean, uh, well, it depends because China doesn't allow every American yeah. film to be released in China. Yeah, you know, and that's why you get a lot of studios that are, you know, like Disney that they they petition hard to get movies released in China. But I think China they have a list of uh, they have a, a number they have a quota. I think it's like after ten or twenty American films a year, no other uh, American films could be released in China that year. And so, but you, you know, European territories are big, South American territories are big, and so that's why it all goes back. Is Tom Cruise's name or is Tom Hardy's name or Jake Gyllenhaal, whoever, are there names that people recognize in Europe, in Asia, in South America? Because if so, we can now sell f foreign rights, right? So yeah. you'll get for independent films, you'll get um, uh, producers who before the film even goes into production, they've already made money off the film because they've been able to go to uh, uh, Germany and say, hey, Jake Gyllenhaal's in this film. We know that there's a lot of, and I'm just throwing on a random names, a random name. Uh, we know that a lot of Germans love Jake Gyllenhaal. So this movie will uh, make X can will potentially make this amount of money in Germany. So Germany will then cut a check, right? Uh, a German, uh, not Germany in and of itself, but a German production co distribution company will then cut a check to that producer for X millions of dollars, and to say, okay. If you guarantee me the distribution rights in Germany, here's this money. Yeah. So, wow. so, so some films get like that's how Plane got financed partly oh, wow. because Gerard Butler he has such a big international name in a lot of different international territories. So they were able to go to specific international distributors and say, "Hey, we got this movie coming out called Plane. Gerard Butler's playing a pilot." Plane's going to go down, and he's going to have to survive. Action thriller, boom! And then those territories cut a check. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, oh, that's fascinating. So it's not based off talent. It's yeah. not based off who's the best actor. It's based off who is going to put butts in seats and make money. So if you if you 
set aside the butts and seats factor. Yeah. Uh, is there are there a couple of actors that in your mind, just from a pure mm-hmm. talent standpoint, stand out? Oh, 100 percent. Tom Hardy is a beast. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hardy is a freaking monster of an actor. I mean, he could he is a chameleon. He could become yeah. whatever character he needs to become at the drop of a dime. Um, you know, Jonathan Majors, you know, I know he's in trouble now. You know, I don't want to say he's in trouble, but he's in legal, legal situation right now. But all that aside, he's an amazing actor. I mean, he was great in Creed Three. He was great in uh, uh, Kang Dynasty. I mean, he's an actor that could become whatever character he needs to become at the drop of a dime. Same thing with Denzel Washington. So, so those are actors that I look at, and I'm like, I'm just like in awe sometimes of like Christoph Waltz, you know, who's a beat Leonardo DiCaprio. Dude's a freaking gnarly, gnarly actor, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Even even you know I was a Nicholas Cage. I was on a plane when I was flying here. I was <laughs> I was watching uh, sixty minutes and they did a special on Nicholas Cage and and they showed like a bunch of clips from the different movies he's done over the last I don't know forty years and just to see how he becomes different people and he puts his emotion and it's not it's it's not it doesn't read as fake it doesn't read as acting right because there's some people who you could tell they're acting but there's other people who are becoming they're becoming the character yeah. they're becoming that headspace and nicholas cage man that dude i'd love to work with that cat one day because he's yeah. a freaking beast man um i can't his name is escaping me uh, american psycho uh oh, oh christian bale yeah yeah he, he he's, seems he's, he's another one yeah he's a he's a chameleon you yeah. know what i mean yeah it's a it's a fascinating industry no doubt about it yeah, um, from a writing standpoint what makes a good story characters you know for me it's 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 you know it's all about the character you know character drives plot in my opinion plot should never drive the character if that makes sense so yeah. you know the best films that you that I mean that we could look back on we could look back on those films as being great not necessarily for the plot for the most part Plot, yeah, you'll remember it, but mainly for the characters. You know, think about Matrix, Neo. You know, think about Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. It was like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of other like really, well, really good. Top Gun Maverick, I mean. Top Gun Maverick, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the original Top Gun, you know, Maverick, the character yeah. in Top Gun. Always go back to character. Shawshank Redemption, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Tim Robbins' character. And, and so to me, that's what makes the best story. It all comes back yeah. to the characters. Yeah. Uh, what would you give somebody, uh, somebody who's an aspiring writer that wants to become a writer? What would you give them for advice? Do it. Just do it. I would just, just, just do it. Like, like, don't, like, I don't mean do it in the sense that, hey, I'm going to write a screenplay for it to get made right away. Yet, yeah, yes, it's always good to, to, to think about time and money and think about, okay, if I'm putting this time into something, then I should be getting paid for it. But learn it do it right like you can't like you you won't get better as a writer unless you actually write it's that you know malcolm gladwell talks about the ten thousand hour uh, theory or rule where you have to once you do something ten thousand hours you're, you're close to mastered it and so that would be my advice is to go out and do it and and i say this because i get so many people who reach out to me on social media or reach out to me through my agent and they're like hey i want you to write a project for me like I have this idea and I want you to write and I don't have the time and I don't have the capacity to write because I have all these other projects. And my advice to them is like, no, you do it. Yeah, yeah but I suck. Hey, but learn, teach yourself. Yeah. Learn. You want to be like, you should be the master of your story, especially when we talk about stories that involve you 
you know, biopics or, or, or stories that are very personal to you. Yeah. No one can tell that story like you can tell your story. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice. Do it and keep doing it and screw up because you are going to screw up, but keep doing it. Go to YouTube, learn about story arc, learn about, you know, a three act structure and all of these different things. You don't have to go, in my opinion, you don't have to go to a university and, and to learn all of these things. You can learn all of this stuff on YouTube and then take what you learn, apply it and just go do it. I mean, that's great advice. And, and I agree, I guess, from from the step two is that, OK, you've done it, you've written some things, whatever. How mm -hmm. do you how do you approach having something made like? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's all about it's not about who, you know, it's about who knows you. So um, location matters. So if you want to be in the film and TV business, you got to be if you want to you got to be close to the fire. So you got to you got to get to L.A., you got to build natural relationships, not relationships with the purpose of, oh, I'm building this relationship because I want something out of it, but just natural relationships. Um, there's screenwriting competitions um, that people can submit their screenplay to. Uh, and if it's really good, it could work its way up the food chain. And then and then you can get noticed by managers, uh, agents, because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't realize this. It's not about you getting your project to a studio or producer. That's a shot in the dark. The chances of that happening is slim to none. It's about you getting a rep. It's about you getting an agent or manager. That's because the agents and managers are connected in the business. And the agents and managers, they have those relationships because they've sold stuff to these studios that has gotten made. Yeah. And so these studios trust them. So like my agent, David Saunders, he's a freaking beast. He's been in the business for like 30 years and he represents just writers and directors. And you know, when he read my first screenplays, that's, he signed me based off of my first screenplays because he read them and he's like, I can sell this stuff and I have the relationships to sell this stuff. And then he started taking it out and I started, I mean, three weeks after I signed with him, I got my first writing gig that got me into the WGA. Wow. So it's all about getting to an agent and manager and the way you get to an agent and manager is not, you can't cold call or, you know, you know, send a, send a script randomly to them because they get that all the time. You, sometimes the path in is if you don't know anybody is through these screenwriting competitions. And one screenwriting uh, website that I highly recommend is The Blacklist. So The Blacklist is a uh, screenwriting website. I put a script on it on there before, and it's a trusted screenwriting website. So essentially, you put your script on there, I think you pay 25 or $50, and people who are in the industry will read the script and then rate it. And so yeah. Well, go ahead. And, and so, so they'll rate it, and, and the more you, and, and it's kind of, I know this might sound like, it's like salesy or like gimmicky, but the more reads you get and the more gets rated higher, the more people who are high up in the industry will read that screenplay. You. So you have paid readers, you have readers who work in the industry who will read this. And some of those, those readers, they're assistants at a studio yeah, and they're just on the blacklist and getting paid the 25 or $50 to read the script, you know, one, because they need the extra money, but two, because they're trying to look for content for a studio to buy. Okay. Is there any um, worry or, or potential for plagiarism that way? Like if, if a nobody, nobody knows who anybody is and you submit yeah. it, like somebody just yep. straight up stealing it? 100. I, some of these websites and, and studios will say no, but at the end of the day, anything can be stolen. Yeah. You know, uh, um, and there's a recent story that came out of uh, of a movie that was, uh, I forgot the director's name. I think it's Guy Ritchie 
or something where he's got he's getting or him in the studio are getting sued um, because there was a guy who had an idea for a recent movie that Guy Ritchie did and 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 he pitched that idea to Guy Ritchie and then uh, Guy Ritchie passed and then or something happened and then Guy Ritchie ended up you know hiring a screenwriter and, and making that idea and so I don't want to say stealing because I, I don't know all the thing but yeah. but that, that's that uh, allegedly accused, allegedly yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and so uh, yeah but at the end of the day you know that's why you have to protect yourself by you know you 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 know as soon as I write a screenplay I upload it up to the the WGA website you don't have to be a WGA m- a member to do it and that's one piece of evidence so if, if you watch a movie one day and it's like man like that's my idea those, that was my ideas those were the, my characters and you could always refer to that but even better than that is sending it to the Library of Congress okay because that's that's that that's a level of protection that that you know you could really you'll win a case yeah having that but either way I mean in, in a case like that you'd still have to go through all of the legal channels of suing them. yeah like it's going to cost you a lot yeah. to even sue them right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, if you could win and, and yeah. you have a lawyer that takes on a case because they know, hey, I could win this case and get you millions of dollars and I'll get a percentage out of that, then, yeah. you know. And that was one of another reason, one of the reasons why I did Chameleon because um, once you have a book IP, because I was worried, I had people that I sent the script to and that my the, the producer on it, the, the option expired uh, eventually, so the rights all reverted back to me. But he sent the script to other people and I, I've had people say to me, dude, I love this whole concept. I love, I had one producer say to me, I love the title Chameleon. Like just with that title and that premise, I can create something awesome. And all of that stuff started to scare me. And so, and I copyrighted the the script and I also uploaded on the WJ, but like you said, somebody could still take the, take, take the idea and then I have to go to court. So what did I do? I wrote a book. Yeah. Right. Because part of the book is that's now intellectual property. So if some movie comes out a year from now, two years from now, and the characters are similar and they have the similar, the same skill sets and all that other stuff, I could always revert back to, well, this is a book. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate level of of protection. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's a fascinating industry, man. I, uh, you know, there's so many, so many times I find myself watching, you know, movies because I'm a huge movie fan. Yeah. probably my my favorite thing to do yeah. relax off time yeah. wise whether it's at home or even like i love going to the movies yeah, I mean, yeah. to me I, I grew up enjoying it it was a big deal when we got to go to a movie because it mm-hmm. wasn't super often and and now you know uh, fast forward you know as a, as a dad like that's one of my favorite things yeah, yeah. to do with the kids is yeah. well, you know go to the movies that's when same, my cheat same. meals are also you yeah, know yeah, i'll yeah. eat whatever the Popcorn, fuck i want yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know so i yeah we i'd say go to the movies damn near every week. I mean, at least a yeah. few times a month, you know, yeah. and uh, I absolutely love it. But, you know, I, I knew that there was a lot that goes into it, but I don't think most people realize in that hour and a half to two and a half hour yeah. time frame the amount of effort that goes into making that, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty uh, And remarkable. not just effort, years, man. Yeah. Years yeah. and time, you know, there's so many stories of films <laughs> that were written, uh, even this recent movie, Sound of Freedom, yeah. that just came out, the human trafficking film. You know, that film was, I mean, I met Tim and those guys back in like 2015, 2016, I want to say. And they were just talking about making that because his book had already come out. And uh, it got it, it got through post-production in 2018. Oh, wow. So five years. And it just came out last week. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, time and it's not just effort and money, but it's also time. You yeah. know, a lot of time that goes into this stuff. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, speaking of that movie and, and kind mm-hmm. of the the ties that you hear about, uh, again, mm-hmm. uh, within the industry, have you been witness to any of that? Have you seen any, like, corruption or, or crazy, you know, high-level, high either whether it's trafficking or, or just things that have gone on in the industry that you're like, man, that's fucked up? No, not on a human trafficking side. I'm just in any way, I guess. No, no, uh-huh. not, not, not. I haven't seen any drug use. I haven't seen, I mean, I would say a big part of it is because I'm removed from it. Yeah. I work in Hollywood, but I live in, I live in San Diego. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm not a party guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm just like, even when I was in the teams, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I remember, you know, when I would drop especially when I was a new guy, I would drive the guys to the bar and party and I had no interest to go in and I would yeah. just sit in the car and chill and, you know, maybe read or something like that. Cause that wasn't my thing, but yeah. I'm intent, especially now being married and having kids. I ain't got time to be gone. I get people to invite me to parties and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah. man, I'm 40 years old, man. I, you know, <laughs> I, so I, I stay away from from that stuff, you yeah. know, in part because I don't have the time to deal yeah. with it. So I think that that's one of the main, even when I'm on set working on a movie, yeah. like guys like, hey, let's go here, let's go there. I'm just like, no dude, like I'm going to, going my, going to get dinner, going to my hotel, going to sleep and starting again. Like yeah. I, I, ain't, I ain't doing yeah. all those. Too stuff. old for this I'm shit. I'm too old for this, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the original Lethal Weapon, yeah. uh, Danny Glover, yeah, 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 is 41 yeah, yeah, when yeah, he says yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I'm, I'm too old, old for this shit. Yeah, man. So I remember growing up watching, it's like, yeah, you are old yeah. now i'm older than that. i know like, God, i know i'll be 41 yeah. next month man yeah. so that, i'm right, yeah. right around that age. I'll, be, I'll be 45 here in a couple oh, of weeks. crazy mm-hmm. um all right organ harvesting i want to mm-hmm. kind of go go through some of the uh well i guess before we get into your projects um yeah. what's something i haven't asked you about the industry that uh, that's worth noting uh if there's anything i tried to cover everything i mean i'm sure there's a lot of things but i can't think of anything off the top that uh, is prevalent. Um, just you know, I would just say you know, um, it's it's it drives the culture, man. You know, um, podcasts, films, TV shows, music. I mean, that's the it's a powerful tool, man. Yeah. I think it's more powerful than uh, serving as president sometimes yeah. uh, because you have the ability to influence a generation, not just a culture. You know what comes out of Hollywood goes throughout the entire world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I would just, you know, I would say that that's the big thing it, 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 that, you know, a lot of people don't realize and, and it's good to know is how powerful, you know, story is. And I, I think for me, you know, that's why every time, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm like, dude, why am I here? I always fall back on that, that this is my mission to be able to tell impactful stories and use story to change life. Cause you know, it was story that changed my life and then use story to educate, hence the organ harvesting film, yeah. you know, because I didn't know anything about human trafficking when I got out of, out of the military, you yeah. know, even though, you know, I just actually, I just found out recently that uh, the federal government made, just made it a federal crime in the, in 2000, you know, that human trafficking would be a federal crime. You know what I mean? So um, to be able to use this tool to, to, to educate people uh, even on a topic like human trafficking, specifically organ harvesting of the reality so that they can engage in a fight in some way, whether it's donating or serving or whatever the case may be, that's the power of Hollywood. That's yeah. the power of story. That's the power of podcasting, film and TV. And that's why even though it's a hard business to be in, I stay in it because I know it's a massive bullhorn yeah. that can influence yeah. not just cultures, but generations. Yeah. To me, there's a, there's a bit of a, a fine line there. I, I will say, I know f- for most people like 
there's a, a component of wanting to be entertained but yeah. not dictated to yep. or, or yep. preached at yep. you know which yep. which i can imagine kind of to your point yeah. is a bit of a balancing act yeah. of, of wanting to influence and and communicate and tell stories and and be impactful without because to me like the the epitome of what i'm talking about is the award shows yeah yeah yep, you know it's yep, like i yeah. accept this but now i'm gonna you know yep. run my mouth and exactly. talk a bunch of shit and it's like i think most people are just like we just shut the fuck up exactly yeah get your award and go yeah no i'm the same way now it is a fine line and that's why like i think when i'm writing i always try to be intentional about putting if there's a, a specific message in there that i'm trying to get out like putting it in a way that's not over. For example, I mean, I'll use chameleon as an example. I could just, because I just finished writing that, you know, one of my, the underlying theme throughout the book uh, that comes to the surface at the forefront, it becomes a bit more overt at the end is the importance of political unity, not just political, but national unity, because right now we're just so divided in this country and there are outside forces outside of the U S that are playing a role via AI via social media via you know fill in the blank in order to keep us divided for our demise our ultimate demise and so one of the underlying themes in this book is is the importance of national unity we have to come together and I also kind of under the surface talk about how a lot of our division all doesn't just come from outside of it comes from the top it comes from politicians at the top who are intentionally trying to keep us divided mm -hmm. so that they they can have their section and another group can have their section and then we could keep fighting and they can stay in power and keep getting rich and keep doing all of the things that they're doing and so in writing that i would I, I, it's all about being tactful and it's also about if you're going to have a message in there the message you have to stay in the middle. You have to stay somewhat in the in the middle for the most part, right? Because, it's, well, yeah. I mean, not to interrupt, but yeah. I mean, take the extreme example that uh, that we just talked about. You know, yeah. the the podium speech. Yep, yep, yep. It's like anybody that agrees with you or is going to that that's going to be well received. Yep. They already think that. Exactly. You know, exactly. the people that disagree are going to be like fuck that exactly. guy, you know. Exactly. So there's there's no reason to say it. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And so yeah, I mean to me in telling that story kind of similarly, it's yeah. like or or even a good comedian. Yeah. Like a good comedian makes fun of everybody. Yeah, like yeah. if you're just yeah. picking on one group, it's obvious, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and to me, like, I, I think a lot of late night talk shows have turned into that. Yep. It's like they used to make fun of everybody, everybody. including themselves. Yep. And now they don't. Yep. It's like a lot. Most of them stand up it's there and, and target one, one group or yeah. one angle. And, yeah. and, it, and you, you see it in their ratings, yep. you know, it's why they're doing, yep. most of them are doing so fucking terrible. But, yep. um, the, uh, so the organ harvesting thing, I, yeah. I do want to get into that. Yeah. Um, Actually, but before we get into that, I know I keep I keep coming up with these questions. Yeah, yeah. There's one, and then we'll get into it. The yeah. AI thing that, that you've brought up a yeah. couple of times. It made me think with the screenwriting thing. There's nothing keeping me or or a, a nobody that's never written anything to yeah. use AI to develop a script, and then I tweak it to make it yeah. not seem like AI and submit it. There's nothing to stop that. No, like, no. like anybody could, no. could do that. No, and 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 and. There's no, I don't see an issue with that. It's, it's used as a tool. At the end of the day, even though after that AI technology ger generates that screenplay, 
you're still going to have to be able to put the emotion and yeah. and the pauses and the dialogue and all of those things in there. And if it's good, it's good. Yeah, a good script is a good script. Yeah, you know what I mean. At the end of the day, yeah. Uh, what I do think though is, you know, as it relates to AI and 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 not just screenwriting scripts, but also in school, um, in colleges with kids, I think it's going to uh, diminish the opportunities for people to learn how to think critically, mm-hmm. right? Because critical thinking is a very important aspect of, of, of a person's life and of a society and culture. Yeah. And when you have a lot, when you have a bunch of kids in college, I know, cause I was just, I was actually just at the airport, you know, a couple weeks ago and my business partner, he walked past this girl and she was, uh, he wasn't like intentionally staring at her computer, but something just caught his eye and he saw that she was using chat GTP to write a paper. Now, what that's going to do is that's diminishing her opportunity to learn how to think critically. And I think we're going to have a just like how social media has really warped and changed the minds of so many young kids where look at Instagram, Insta quick, where a lot of kids, they don't understand they don't understand the importance of hard work and and putting in the time and things take time and effort because they see people on instagram with these cars and they look like this and they look like that and 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 they think that all of that came instantly and so so many kids their minds have been warped by social media and and so you're seeing a generation that's not even look at the military standards like we're having a national security crisis right now because people are just not joining the military And why are they not joining the military? Because of what they saw on, uh, on social media, or maybe some of them, all they do is sit and surf social media, so they're not in, a, in, in the proper, you know, uh, military regulation standards to get in. Or, you know, some people are just, they, they just don't have the intellect. The Navy just reduced uh, the, uh, the ASVAP score, for I think, to like 30. It used to be, I think, 50, but to 30 for people to even get into the Navy. Why? Because kids' minds have checked out. So along with social media in my in my personal opinion denigrating the minds and 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 you know the minds of young people and this next generation and even older people right uh i think ai is going to do that as well yeah because it's going to make people less reliant on their own minds yeah. to figure out something and more reliant on the technology to yeah. figure it out for them to me i think a good analogy is um for the military it's like gps yeah, yeah navigation yep. or even using yeah. a calculator yep you know yep. it's like using a calculator is great but you, you also need to know how to work it exactly. out without the formula one, you know yep. and you need to know how to use land navigation from exactly. a map and compass like once you know how to use that and you understand it and, and you've i would say mastered it then it's okay to use, use a gps, GPS. but yep. uh you shouldn't do it before that and, and i agree i think yep. that's kind of what's happening because what's going to happen when 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 uh somebody's out in the field and their gps yep. battery dies or yep. the gps gets wet they're lost yep. then so you're what, calling the air force exactly and then what's <laughs> gonna and what's gonna happen with all these kids who graduated yep. you know graduated from college and high school and they get they get a job that that that's very important yep. millions of dollars on the line billions of dollars on the line or maybe somebody's life is on the line and yep. they can't figure out how to make it work because they they don't have the chat gtp for this week or this month yeah. or whatever the case may be yeah it's gonna be bad man no, i agree in my opinion yeah no, i agree um all right so organ harvesting how yeah. uh, how did that come about yeah so i was when i got out in 2016 um i had like a bunch of different nonprofits reach out to me for different work um and i i 
felt called to serve. I think every person wants to get up. Every person who served in the military, you still feel that calling to serve. And so I did different things. Like I, I went, went to prisons. You know, I think we talked about, about, about it on a podcast the first time, the prisons that I went to. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, so I went there and hung out with people in prison. I went to inner city youth uh, events. I went to, I did all kinds of different things, but the one type of nonprofit that kept on reaching out to me were human trafficking nonprofits. Uh, there was one out of Sacramento, which was the first one. Again, I didn't even know what human trafficking was. And, uh, uh, this lady from Sacramento, I can't recall the name of the nonprofit, but she reached out to me. She was just like, hey, can you come out here and and, and help out with an event? Because human trafficking is a huge issue out there, out here in Sacramento. So I went out there and helped out there. And 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 that's when my eyes were open even more. I was like, people actually do this to kids? Like, yeah. My mind was blown. And then um, another nonprofit reached out to me called Slave to Nothing. Uh, which the founder of that nonprofit is the is the owner of In and Out Burger and 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 Slave to Nothing does a lot of stuff in the human trafficking nonprofit. So she asked me to help out with a fundraiser. So again, these type of nonprofits kept on coming up to me, and then uh, I got approached by another nonprofit, um, uh, actually Tim's nonprofit, and uh, uh, they were like, "Hey, you know, we." use former team guys and special operations guys and and uh agency guys to you know go do stuff overseas and it was another nonprofit at the same time that reached out to me to do the same thing and so i went overseas with uh with a nonprofit, and uh that's when i was really exposed to it you know i was just like holy crap went down to, i went down to uh uh to dr and I was just like, we were in this particular slum where the parents sold their daughters to traffickers in the North and Americans and other Westerners would go have sex with these, these kids. And my mind was freaking blown. You know, as a father of, at the time I had three, I had three boys, but then having a daughter, I was just like, this is disgusting. This is horrific. This is evil at its finest. This is the worst of humanity. I mean, human trafficking is the worst side of humanity. It's slavery. Yeah. And uh, and we were in this particular slum where the parents sold their daughters. And I was just appalled by it. And the, our guide noticed how freaking because i've always been good at kind of keeping my composure but he recognized how jacked i was because our job in this particular mission was to educate the parents as to what's going on with their daughters and it was just really hard for me to do it how do they not know they because and this story will help explain it this story help explain it so the, the guy brings me into this into this chapel that was no no bigger than the size of two toilet stalls and at the end of a ch at, at the end of the chapel uh was a dead baby six month old baby in the casket okay and 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 the guy explained to me they were having like a funeral service for the baby and the guy explained to me that the baby died because the mother uh she wasn't getting enough food so her breast milk dried up so she was mixing formula with the local water and that's what ultimately killed the baby and so what he was trying to explain to me is that this is the plight of the it's it all comes back to desperation this is the plight of the parents either they sell their daughters to these traffickers for the girls to go party or have sex, whatever the case may be, or all of their kids die. And and that's so they they know they're aware of what's going on, but they're not aware to the extent of what's going on. They're not because it's one thing to hand your daughter off and 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 know that they haven't said, but they're not aware of the long term effects, diseases, all of these different things that can come. Mental freaking demolishment of the, the, these young girls' minds. And so that was a big part of it. And so um, that when I got back from that particular trip 
And again, that that explanation with the uh, with the guy taking me into the chapel, that didn't justify it for me, but it helped give me a better level of understanding as it related to human trafficking and why certain people do what they do. And the biggest thing that I learned is that most people up and down up and down the human trafficking food chain, whether they're a victim or whether they're the trafficker themselves, it all comes back to desperation. Mm-hmm. Doesn't justify it, but it all comes back to desperation, whether it's poverty and you find a lot of human trafficking, like even right now on the border of Mexico, it's gone out of control. I interviewed a guy um, who was trafficked from Venezuela to Colombia, uh, un- unaware. He was unaware of this until he got to Mexico. Essentially, what the cartel and other nefarious groups are doing is they're creating these email blasts and messages, and they're sending them not just throughout South America but to other parts of the world. And they're essentially saying, "Hey, uh, the border is weak. We can get you in. Come to the come to the border, and we'll get you in. If just come to this particular part of Mexico, and we'll get you into the U.S." And what's happening is that people are coming to the border from all around the world, especially South America, like this particular guy who I interviewed. And they're getting abducted by traffickers, yeah. and the girls are used for sex trafficking. The men are used for labor and other means, and the and the and the uh, kids are used as mules. They used to traffic drugs into the United States, right? And so the victims are desperate to get into the U.S. because they are in these very impoverished, poor countries. And then they get to the Mexican border and they get trafficked, right? Yeah. And so up and down the food chain, and a lot of it all boils down to 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 desperation which again, doesn't justify the act. Um, so when I got back from that particular trip in the DR, I landed in in, in, in uh, Miami and I had all of these messages from Michael Bay's producing partner, Mike Case. And he was like, hey dude, where are you? We've been trying to get a hold of you. Michael's starting his new film, Six Underground, and he wants you to start working on it now. <laughs> and uh, he wants you to start training the actors before we go out to Italy. And after I hung up the phone, it was like in that, I, I agreed to the job, but after I hung up, it was like in that moment that these two worlds collided where I was just like, all right, human trafficking is a big issue. I can keep going to these other countries and 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 helping out and educating parents or rescuing kids, but there's all gonna always be two million more kids that need rescuing. And how can I have the biggest effect? The way I can have the biggest effect is by creating a film, merging these two worlds, and focusing more on the organ harvesting side of it, because there's so many people, even Sound of Freedom focuses more on the sex trafficking side of it. A lot of people don't realize this, but when a when people hear the word human trafficking, their minds just go to sex trafficking, but mm-hmm. it's not sex trafficking. Human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking is just one aspect of human trafficking. You have sex trafficking, labor, organ harvesting, blood trafficking, uh, as I mentioned, uh, dr- uh, drug trafficking. Uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, people have figured out how to sell and use other human beings in some crazy, wicked ways. And so uh, my goal, again, that that was kind of how I, I transitioned to making the organ harvesting film was I wanted to pick a part of human trafficking that's not often talked about and it's hard to talk about because you, you a lot of these organ harvesting victims they don't they, they, they don't live to share their story for yeah. the most part you know what I mean and, uh, and and other people are not going to share their stories out of fear right and so I really wanted to focus on it just to educate people so they understand that this happens and it's and the good thing is there's so many articles and so many stories now and I'm not saying that this is because of my short film because there were stories beginning to come out around the time my short film came out but now of, of, of people who were organ trafficked there was a story that came out uh, I want to say like a month ago two months ago of a girl on, who, who met a guy on TikTok and I think she was American if my memory serves me right she goes down to Colombia and the dude drugs her 
chops her up, takes her organs, and he, he's uh, selling her organs on social media. Yeah. You know? Um, he was a doctor, I think, right? He was in med school. Or med school, yeah. He was in med school, yeah. There was another story that I, I posted to my social media a couple months ago of a girl who went down to DR to get a tummy tuck, and uh, after she got back from, uh, got back home, tummy tuck looked good, but then for some reason she wasn't feeling well, kept on, you know, was feeling fatigued, was feeling lightheaded, and then she w- went to the doctor one day, and the doctor was like, uh, did, took an MRI x-ray. He's like, you know you only got one kidney? She was like, no, I should have two kidneys. I never had a kidney taken out. The doctor in the DR took out her kidney, sold it on the black market. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, it's it's a crazy, crazy industry. Yeah. On a black market, we know that um, heart, a heart and a lung just starts, bidding starts at $100,000. That's where bidding starts. Uh, 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 cornea of the eyes, bidding starts around $30,000. Uh, a kidney or liver, bidding starts like around 50000 So a healthy human body can net just hundreds of thousands. hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, and, and traffickers have realized that it's more lucrative and, and safer for them to traffic organs than it is to traffic people for sex. Yeah. Because, you know, once somebody's gone and the body's burnt, you know, uh, and way more money too. And, and way more money, yeah. then how can that be traced back to them? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a very lucrative evil business. I mean, what is it like 4,000, 900, something like that. Kids go missing every year in the United States alone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 crazy, man. You mentioned uh, blood blood harvesting, blood trafficking. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so there's a story out of Vietnam. This was last year. This time, uh, a Chinese businessman. He tra- he um, was traveling, traveled to Vietnam for business. He got abducted by this gang, and they essentially was taking his blood. They would take his blood as soon as his blood, a significant amount of blood was gone. They'd feed him, give him water, and they, he was chained, and they would, just, they would just trafficking his blood, using his blood. Um, there's also, so, so blood trafficking, I, I can't, I don't know all the science behind it, um, but obviously when somebody is, you know, needs blood because they've lost blood from injury or war or fighting, whatever the case may be, you know, that's valuable, right? Especially if it's a proper match. So that's the only story I came across as it relates to, to, to blood. And that was last year. But I will say that there was a recent story that came out a few weeks ago out of Harvard University, actually. I'm not sure if you heard of this story, uh, but this uh, the, uh, this uh, guy and his, his girlfriend, they worked at the morgue at Harvard. And uh, I think it was Harvard. I'm pretty sure it was Harvard. And they were trafficking body parts. Yeah. And fetuses, and you know, uh, for uh, 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 you know, and they were selling on the black market heads, uh, organs, uh, uh, kids who were uh, uh, born uh, prematurely born and died, and and their parents wanted them cremated instead. They 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 would ever cremated their parts were sold, you know, yeah. for for uh, to pull out. Uh, I forget, again, I don't know all the science behind it, but you got to read the article to kind of see. But to pull out. Um, Thing. what is it the placenta pull out pull out certain things that blood and certain things that uh certain bodies have and retain it could be I, I can't remember i don't want to butcher it anymore but essentially sell it on the black market yeah yeah i mean it's uh terrifying to, to yeah. think and, and i know i mean I've, I've read or seen similar stories and yeah. uh you know admittedly you know i don't spend a ton of time thinking about it but the, yeah. yeah the organ harvesting thing is something that i think is very underreported on yep. you know it's usually sex trafficking which yep. uh you know i think makes sense i mean the the mental trauma and the and the violation that exists i think you know with young kids being sex trafficked yeah. uh, ha, has an emotional uh, component to it yeah 
that I think is unrivaled, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, deservedly. Yes. Uh, not to say that being murdered and having all of your organs yeah. taken out of your body and sold is, is a good deal. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's one of those things yeah. that I think it, it, it hits you a certain way. Um, is there a, um, I guess an overall component to, you know, making the movie that, um, that, that was difficult for you to be able to, to do because of the nature of, of what you're trying to investigate. And yeah. Yeah. You know, just, uh, it's a tough topic. It's a tough topic. And I would say that the hardest part of the film was trying to, and I don't, this may seem, sound weird, but create a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, um, there, there, and, and the film is based on true events. I mean, it's 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 without giving away too much spoiler. You know, it's based off of the Yazidis girls that were uh, trafficked. It was the uh, the Yazidis genocide was the first was the last genocide acknowledged by the UN. I think that was like around two thousand. 14 to 2015 when ISIS rolled in uh massacred the men took the girls used them for sex trafficking organ harvesting labor and so so on and so forth and so um the hardest part of the film uh, for me was how do I end this in a way that is authentic and real because it's there's not as there's no happy ending um but also that but that's a, a little bit more palatable and that was why I, I finally in the writing process i finally came up with i got to tell the story backwards really that, 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 i was like that, that there's the only the only way that this can work is if i tell this story kind of like memento tell this story backwards wow. because there's no other way to be able to tell this where somebody walks away at the end and they say oh uh, I, I feel all right i feel good i want to do something you know yeah. so that that, that, w- that was probably the hardest part of the of making the film for me was was figuring out how to have people walk away and feel imp- and, and feel empowered to do something yeah I mean, I, I can imagine, yeah. I guess fr- from a storytelling standpoint, is mm-hmm. it generally your goal for people to leave happy? Not necessarily. Happy is the wrong word to use, but I would say satisfied. Yeah. Right. With every story, you you want the audience to f- to leave satisfied. We were talking about offline, um, uh, uh, me and Zach, we were talking about um, uh, a movie that we recently watched and, and, and it was a great movie, but what kind of, kind of, messed it up for me at the end was it ended on this cliffhanger this very abrupt cliffhanger where you don't know what happened and it was a choice by the director and the writer but you don't know what happens to the heroes of the story you could you kind of have to piece together what happens hmm. and 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 so essentially the way it ends and some filmmakers do it is they allow the audience to be the filmmaker, yeah. right? Where the audience is, is, is decides what happened to these two characters. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that type of storytelling. Uh, Christopher Nolan, he does it, but he does it really great. Like for example, in, in Inception, at the end of Inception, he spins the, uh, Leonardo spins the totem and and you cut, don't know if it's gonna fall down, if it falls down and that means that he's in, uh, he's in back of reality, but if it stays up, then that means that he's still stuck in that dream state whatever the case may be that's a bit different but but you still feel satisfied because it's like is he there is he not but the whole story wrapped up right and in this movie that we me and zach were talking about offline you don't get that it's just this abrupt ending and there's no satisfaction so happy is the wrong word i would say i would say he's more satisfied yeah you know even with a horror movie like 
where the monsters running around killing people and he gets away at the end like it you still there is some form of satisfaction at the end yeah I, to me the example that jumps out at me uh, off the cuff is um it's a fairly recent movie with Adam Sandler where it's serious and he's a gemstone guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was, a, he was a gambler. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was called Gemstones. Gemstones. Yeah, that was a good movie, man. It was a good movie, yeah. but to me, the way that it ended, especially yeah. because of the type of actor he yeah, is yeah, yeah. and everything you've seen in yeah, him, yeah. and it's such a different role in the yeah. way that it ends. At least for me, I was like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. I can't uh, remember how did it. How did it, I, I, I watched the movie? It was years ago, but it, I loved the movie. His performance was amazing. Yeah, I by mean, the way. He, he gets fucking murdered. I know he, he gets, gets shot. Yeah, at the end and dies. And but it's just like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, it's yeah. like he's the main character. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, it's one of those like he can't die because he's the yeah, 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 he's the guy, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then he, but he dies, you yeah, know. Yeah. And uh, for me, I felt unsatisfied yeah, walking out of there, yeah. you know. But um, yeah. So, so, so for me, when I was making the film, I was like, how do I? create satisfaction for the audience for the viewer so that that way it's like okay the story and that was the only way i could do it because if i told it in chronological order and then at the end you know after everything happened to this victim you see these these two people get getting you know this this couple happy because their their son got a heart even though they don't know where the heart came from and and the heart was purchased on the black market then that's the audience is not going to leave satisfied that way yeah yeah <laughs> so with, with uh, kind of the the research and and the digging that you mm-hmm. had to do to make that, I can only imagine there's a challenge in mm-hmm. being able to talk to people because, like you said, yeah. one the victims, I mean, family members, et cetera. Yeah, but yeah. I, I would imagine it's it's hard to dig into that. Was there any component of danger of where you're running into where you're talking to people that? No, not not nec- No, not for me. No, I just you know a lot of it. Most of it was research from you know, stuff I was able to find off the internet. Then some of it was stuff I was able to pull from you know my experience. Um, you know, working with different human trafficking nonprofits, and then um, a, the the big a big part of it was this guy who I uh, who you know we blurred out his face the videos on my YouTube channel, right where, right where the short film is. Um, but, you know, that was the only real, like, fresh, like, most recent person that I was able to to interview and get a, a full account on how intricate and how that trafficking and operation was carried out. But for the most part, now I didn't get to the point where it was, like, close to danger where I was, you know... Uh, you know, interviewing somebody or talking with somebody that was an actual trafficker. Um, but again, there was this, there's a TV show, I think it's called trafficked on Nat Geo, um, where she's able to get, she, yeah. she, there was an organ harvesting episode where the, the, I can't, did you have one on your podcast? You know what I'm talking about? Van. Okay. But she, uh, was able to talk about how, uh, she was, uh, she was able to talk to an actual yeah. organ harvesting yeah. guy, wow. you know, he had on a black mask and they changed his voice, but yeah, man. Do you know what uh, percentage-wise and market cap size-wise what organ harvesting is? It's hard to it's hard to give that exact number because of how this thing runs under so yeah. f- far under the surface. It's like saying you know how I mean? much is the drug industry? It's exactly. like it's billions of dollars. But we but do know it's billions of dollars. You know, yeah. uh, we and, and we can look at certain places like India has a huge organ harvesting issue. Cairo, Egypt is considered the organ harvesting capital of the world. So it's happening. Even Ukraine, you know, we, yeah. we're starting to find like with the Russia-Ukraine war, there's organs harvesting stuff coming out of that. Oh. So it's it's uh, it's very hard to quantify, but 
but we do know based off of these stories that pop up here and there that you know it's 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 a billion dollar business for yeah. sure i mean even with americans traveling down to some of these countries to get you know to get an organ there was a story that came out out of uh, costa rica um last year uh no 24 17 or 2016 of this uh, uh, Israeli doctor that was brokering, brokering or uh, kidney deals in Costa Rica. And so if a Westerner or an Israeli needed a kidney and they couldn't, they couldn't get one in time because I think in the U S it's like somewhere between four and 5,000 people die every year on the uh, kidney waiting list or the or, or organ or yeah, I, I believe it's either the kidney waiting list or organ in general waiting list. And so, you know, you get Westerners that, that were going down to Costa Rica and they were getting new kidneys. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's hard to quantify. We do when it comes to sex trafficking, we know that um, America is the huge driving force for content and the, the biggest consumer of content created with sex trafficked materials. Yeah. And, you know, with some of these small stories that are coming out, we're beginning to learn that, you know, that may also correlate to organ harvesting yeah. as well. It's such a shitty decision of, uh, you know, imagine you're a parent. Yeah. And your five-year-old has has some condition yeah, where he's a new heart, yeah, and and the waiting list, coupled with the life expect expect expectation, yeah. uh, is such that you're basically saying like, there's no way they're going to live. Yeah, I mean that's just a yeah, that's a tough spot. To and, be and, in. and 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 you know, going back to social media, a, a lot of these human trafficking, whether it's sex trafficking, organ harvesting. A lot of these these rings are are managed and run via hashtags, via social media. Somebody posts on social media. It's, it's as simple as, you know, uh, somebody posts on social media. Oh, I'm going to the doctor today. Hopefully, my and picture with their baby. Hopefully, my baby has a a better appointment. And they throw up a hashtag on there. You know, sick baby. I'm just saying some random. And these traffickers are are finding people via hashtags, and then they're sending them a message. Hey, I I, I hear that you can't get a heart there but you could potentially get a heart down in argentina or whatever they or or mexico and this and that and it's all legit and it's all no really uh when uh, uh in a month a month great um what do i need to do and there's a whole business businesses that are set up there's a whole backstory and all of this set up and and uh then they get a call maybe uh a week before i'm super sorry like it didn't work out but we got this last minute heart you got to come down right now yeah right and people are people are doing it that way there was a um in india there was an organ harvesting ring that was busted uh, i want to say 2016 and uh uh the, there was a nigerian uh, uh computer science engineer that created this website and this whole back end he was running the whole thing through this website to help find uh organ uh help find people who needed organs and people who uh like victims uh to potentially be used and this one lady long story short this one lady she was in a she was in a cast system lower cast she got this particular email hey there's a job for you in uh new delhi i believe it was people could google this just google new delhi or indian woman organ harvesting and this whole story of papa was a big story in india and uh and she's like great i get to get a job and maybe elevate out of this specific cast and the job was just her being a janitor but that's a 
big thing for somebody in India, right? So she goes to this particular part of New Delhi and uh, there's an apartment waiting for her. And the guy who was a trafficker, who was her employer, I say that in air quotes, you know, he's like, all right, in order for you to start work tomorrow, and again, I'm paraphrasing, truncating the, the, the story for the sake of time. He was like, it's order for you to start your job tomorrow. Um, you need to uh, go get this uh, medical exam. So she goes to the uh, she goes mm. to this uh, this clinic in this like corner this, this kind of hole in the wall clinic and the doc, the nurse tells her hey I need you to go get undressed and she goes and she gets undressed and she gets put on the apron and everything and she lays down and what saved her life was she overheard the nurse saying to the doctor on the other side of the room yes this is the one that's supposed to be given these organs jeez and so she jumped up got dressed because organ harvesting is a known thing in in in, in India. So so she jumped up, she got dressed, raced out of there, and then she alerted the authorities and they busted it. They busted the ring. It was a multi-million dollar organ harvesting ring that had been happening for a long man, period of time. Crazy. So it's crazy, man. And, yeah. and, and a lot of people don't, another thing, sorry for cutting you off. The last thing I'll say on this is a lot of people, when they think of organ harvesting, just like with sex trafficking, their minds always go to these like seedy looking, like evil, crazy looking yeah. people. But a lot of most people that are involved in these organ harvesting rings, they're very smart people. Why? Because yeah. they're doctors. Yeah. There was an organ harvesting ring that was busted in Egypt uh, a few years ago, and and out of the sixty people arrested, like forty five of them were doctors and nurses. Yeah. So these are educated, smart, you know, well to do people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to your point, I think most people when they hear organ organ harvesting, the mental picture is like date rape drug, yep. wind up in a bathtub full of ice yeah. or whatever. It's like th this. Yeah cliched yeah. scenario yeah but in these cases a lot of time it starts as a scam yep and then you wind up yep fucked over basically exactly you know, which exactly is wild. Yeah. which i mean to me that the other component of that is that for for it to be even doable i.e lucrative you'd have to have people that know what they're doing it's yep. not like it's easy to cut somebody's heart out exactly. and, and save it yep. you know and, and have it usable to, exactly. to transplant like yep you know, you can't, you can't learn that on YouTube. No, no not at all. <laughs> or at least I hope, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I hope you can. Yeah. Uh, man, it's fascinating and, yeah. and terrifying yeah. um, at the same time. All right, so transform the film. I, you know, obviously you were on yeah. several years ago, uh, went, went through the book, and uh, it got picked up. Yeah. Can you give us any update on that? Yeah. So I can't mention the studio yet. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to wait until after the writer's strike and then the studio is going to announce it. Once they announce it, then we can, I can talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I got approached by this particular studio back in August. They um, came across uh, my story. Now, actually, they didn't even come across a book first. The Navy did like this small little documentary type thing on my life. And they, one of the executives came across and he was like, yo, this is a crazy story. And then he read the book. And then after he read the book, he reached out to my agents and we're just like, dude, we want to do this movie. Like, where's Remy with the book rights and life yeah. rights? And so, um, so yeah, that was kind of how it came about. And then uh, we went back and forth negotiating for months yeah. uh, on certain things, like months. I mean, we agreed to everything in, in September and then like nothing didn't really happen. And we like contract didn't even get sent until like, January 1st yeah. so it was like a long process of stuff but yeah man it's uh uh they hired me to write the screenplay so I kept it 
very authentic to the book. Obviously, I had to truncate a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's essentially the book in, in its rawest form. I was able to also interject some stuff that I couldn't interject in the book into the film. Um, so, you know, people who read the book, they can get like some different hints of stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I'm excited about it. It's a... Uh, um, you know, it's it's a unique biopic. It's uh, obviously there's a military aspect of it, but we dive into my dad's history. My dad, you know, big time. My dad's a big part of the film, um, and uh, you know what he did in Nigeria and what the Nigerian government did to him, and just trying to restore that kingdom. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah. When was the last time you were back back there? Oh, when I wrote the book, so oh, I okay. finished the book in Nigeria. So that was 2018. I so you haven't been back since. No, I haven't been back since. Yeah. Um, fascinating. So a lot of it's going to depend on the writer strike, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, uh, the producers of that, um, film and the writer and the director of that film. Um, he reached out to me cause I did a, he's hired me to adapt Tim Ballard's book, um, slave stealers into a limited series. So that was the project that got me into the WGA. Oh, okay. So I took that book and wrote the pilot, co-wrote the pilot with another writer writer and then we did the series bible for it which now with all the success of sound of freedom um he you know he, he's mentioned to me that that's going to now be that's already financed now at this point to go into production on that so yeah. that'll be cool um um and so he uh does a lot of documentaries he did the dick vitale documentary on uh espn on disney plus uh the richard bronson documentary larry king documentary and so um yeah so he was like hey i want to do this documentary called hero based off of the hero's journey where i'm looking at the lives of uh people and and and, and applying that template of the hero's journey to a person's life because a lot of uh, for people who don't know the hero's journey is a famous book that was written by Joseph Campbell and it's essentially the go-to template for screenwriters um, because it's, it's essentially an arc you know the hero gets you know uh, uh, approached with a uh, with a job or a task the hero rejects uh, the call to action and the hero something happens and the hero decides and go on this journey and then the hero learns more about himself so it's a whole kind of story arc and so we're applying that story arc to everyday people so we got four people who are uh part of the documentary myself i'm also serving as the producer of the documentary but they're looking at my life and under the microscope of the hero's journey then um there's this woman who rode from california she rode in a rowboat from california to australia we're looking at her story and then um cruz i can't remember his first name but he's a ufc fighter and then the uh, last person is a girl she was a singer on america's got talent deaf singer who uh, uh got the golden buzzer yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah. And you were you were on Special Forces Fox yeah, for yeah. for the first season. Yeah, Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, man. I got approached to work on that show, and uh, it was fun. Um, got to you know put celebrities through uh, the ringer, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, hammer them, yeah. make them pay the man. Yeah, and uh, it was cool, man. I I was I was thoroughly surprised uh, at how much of the beatings uh, the recruit the celebrities were able to take yeah. thoroughly impressed because you know when you see celebrities sometimes you hear them you're just like oh they got their they got their nannies and their assistants and this yeah. and that they don't do anything for themselves but for the most part man they held their own so it was it was fun and we had two winners at the end who were you know two two women which were uh which was pretty cool um, not expected at all hannah uh from the bachelorette and yeah. uh, uh carly lloyd who was a soccer champion yeah 
You know, those bachelorettes, they can be tough, yeah, I guess. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah. The, the total time that they were there was how long? So it was 10, so they landed in country because we had to do COVID quarantine, I want to say like a week or two before we started shooting. And then once they inserted into um, the camp, that was 10 days. So day one through 10, and each episode uh, was one day. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any uh, behind-the-scenes big surprises or anything that you can share that wasn't aired or uh, uh, man, funny me, stories? Man, there were so many. Uh, let me try and pinpoint one. Um, uh, I mean, the big one that, that guy aired was Dwight, man, and how, you know, but part of it that didn't get, he, he couldn't sleep really because he was sleeping on cots yeah and so like dude's like seven feet tall yeah so uh so he had a struggle with that and then another thing was we didn't have there weren't any boots uh that were his size oh wow so you know there's some parts of an episode where you see him with boots on and then there's other parts where you see him with <laughs> sneakers on because there were no boots his size so he yeah. struggled he yeah. paid he paid the man yeah. bro yeah. uh and then even with the you know they had to poop and piss outside and these porta potty not yeah. these open like bathrooms you know yeah. And uh, and so uh, when he would sit down, it was like he was standing up. So he was there was a, a part of an episode where he was sitting right next to MLB, and you know, and it, he's able to see over into her stall while she's yeah. pooping, he's pooping. It was <laughs> it was pretty funny. Speaking of Dwight, we're doing uh, um, uh, the book is uh, we're doing a book signing and a uh, um, a launch event and a Q and A at the Lit Bar in the Bronx, which is right around the corner from where I used to sell drugs, which is crazy. <laughs> on, on a day the book releases, July twenty fifth, and Dwight Howard is actually moderating that event, so no it's kind of like a full circle because oh, I awesome. was interrogating him in the show about yeah. his life, so now he's going to interrogate Payback me. Payback time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Maybe yeah. you guys developed kind of a friendship. Since yeah, then. man. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Not just with him, with Doctor Drew. You know, yeah. I went on his pod. I was on his pod a couple days ago, and so he's been super good good dude just help yeah. me out in any way and in so many different ways and mel b and Zeng and uh kenya so we all kind of stay connected yeah. so yeah, that's wild yeah. that's yeah, awesome yeah. yeah um you're not doing the second season no i'm not doing the second season yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. moving on from that yeah. got another project i'm gonna do instead of that but 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 i'll we'll we'll be able to talk about that next time yeah. on. Yeah. can't can't talk about that no, one not either, yet. Huh? yeah uh all right so the big thing is you got chameleon coming out later yeah. this month uh, july 25th yep uh yeah. give us the quick quick rundown and synopsis on yeah it. so chameleon is uh something that had been in my head for um, over 10 years um I, you know i was blessed in the teens one of my specializations was beside, along, along with being a corpsman was i was a human guy so i got to kind of learn how to run sources and and do cool stuff and build intelligence packages so um and i had to become a chameleon it was a i had to be a specific person with a specific source and then with a different source i had to be another person and then when i was briefing my uh oic and and and, and people up my chain of command i had to be myself so i had so i that's kind of when the idea came to me was I had to be kind of this shapes shape shifter and so uh, uh you know uh I started taking notes and then uh, didn't never thought I would be in the film and tv industry never thought that I would write books or anything like that and then you know finally when after I wrote the transform book there's actually a chapter in transform that's called chameleon and it's it, it's it's kind of that was like the foundation for the book and so after I uh, wrote the book is when I wrote my first screenplay which was chameleon and uh and that's when I put it all in there you know all the 
those ideas that I had about this character that could become whatever character he needs to become at the drop of a dime. And he's grounded. It's very grounded in reality. And, 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 and he's very loosely based off of me. So uh, I, I, I describe Chameleon as a fictional extension of Transform. Yeah. Uh, because Kali, Remy, you know, yeah. uh, he's from the, he was born in Nigeria. And we have some flashback chapters in the book where we go back to his upbringing in Nigeria. But instead of his dad being an engineer like my dad, his dad was in the Nigerian mafia. So you have like this this dynamic of, of, of Kali and his two parents and his mom wanted his dad out of the life. But he's staying in the life. And so it's, it's a really cool story. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a fictional extension extension of my life. It's um. Uh, very grounded. It's a fun read, and uh, I did the audio book just like I did the Transform audio book, so it'd be oh, a fun awesome. listen as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, the um, the goal I get uh, from I guess earlier is to have it be a series, right? Is to do multiple. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, and yep. and it, ha- it it is picked up to get made. Yeah, so it actually started out as a script and then that script got picked up option by a mega producer i can't mention his name and then i'm secretive yeah hey man it's just a business man uh if if the option didn't expire i could mention his name but the option expired so so it wouldn't be kosher to mention his name so um i went through a year of rewrites on it and then uh and then um that's when the book happened and but the script is in a way better place than it was before this producer came along and gave me notes on it. So um, the goal is after I direct Unexpected Redemption, um, the organ harvesting, which is the sequel. Unexpected Redemption is a sequel to the short film. It picks up five years after the events of the short film, The Unexpected. So after I direct that to Roland and Transform, and then after I roll in and Transform, then to do Chameleon. Yeah. The script's already done. Yeah. Uh, so, Easy day, right? Uh, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, that's exciting. You got all yeah. kinds of stuff. And uh, and you're wearing yeah. a shirt from your clothing line, too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Kejo, man. Yeah, tell so, us a little uh, bit about that. So this one is uh, Nothing Worth Having Ever Came Easy. Got that. Um, right. But yeah, man, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I was inspired by you around that time, man, just seeing how you were branching off and doing different things. And I and I would do these motivational, inspirational, and educational quotes on, uh, on social media, and people would hit me up, oh, that was cool. Oh, I can't wait for the next one. I was like, why don't I take... I mean, I know a lot of guys start shirt companies, but I was like, you know, let me just throw my hand in the hat and see where it goes. And so we started out with solutions greater than excuses and then process greater than outcome. And then every season we just kept on growing and we made it on SEAL Team. One of the main characters, uh, Neil Brown Jr., wears a shirt on every season now on episode. So we get tons of sales. And I was wearing the shirt during uh, uh, the – Fox show. And so, so we've been crushing it, man. But I mean, the, the idea behind it, Kejo is Yoruba for the eighth. And so our philosophy at Kejo is that we believe that the eighth wonder of the world is when people rise up and become the inspiration, motivation, and education through wear. And so that's why with all of our shirts, like, like this one, nothing worth having ever came easy. We try to give people something. So maybe they're walking down the street and somebody sees them with their, sh- with this shirt on and they're going through something. They're like, Oh yeah, that's right. Nothing. Worth. And they get inspired and, yeah. you know, put, a little pep in their step so yeah, that's catching awesome. what we do yeah man it's good stuff anything else you got going on that you can bring up ah man i, I i'm sure there is but <laughs> <laughs> i know i know you got a flight to catch here yeah, so uh, we'll get it wrapped up but yeah. uh man i can't thank you enough uh we do have a, a parting gift as we do uh, for for all of our guests thank here, you so. my brother yeah thank you um, thanks, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, the, the standard challenge coin, and then yeah, uh, everybody man. gets a commemorative uh, belt, belt buckle, belt buckle well, I mean, for coming. Use this for sure, brother. Yeah. I, I would love to see you rocking. That I will, I will. Yeah. But you know, what? I'll watch. I'll rock it on my movie set when I'm directing. Yeah. Take a picture. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be epic for <laughs> yeah. sure. I'd have to frame it and put it up here. I absolutely, think. absolutely. Uh, awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, 
can't can't be more proud of you and, and um you, and just you know if there's a guy that deserves all the, th the things that you've done and and uh, continue to do and all the blessings at, at you and, and Thank I, you, man. yeah I'm, I'm just honored to to know you and call you a brother so same same brother appreciate you yeah appreciate you coming uh, for those of you uh, get chameleon on the 25th support all of his other projects he's got great things going on hope you enjoyed the episode if you didn't you know you can choke yourself <laughs> and until next time this is mic drop I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.